Good evening, this shiur will be לרפואה שלמה, ואליהו בן שילה, בן זיווג הגון לאהרון בן שילה, and לעילוי נשמת ריקל, בת ישעיה יעקב, and להצלחה עם שידוך רובן חיים בן פרלה פרל, להצלחה שמשון בן טניה תמר. Yesterday we had a two-hour lecture in Queens, which will be live later tonight. Continue from where I left. As uh, we know that this coming parasha, Parashat Vaishlach, Yaakov Avinu is sending angels to his brother Esav, who comes with 400 men, mercenaries, who works for him. 400 killers. He's coming towards Yaakov. We have to ask a question. How many years has passed from the time Esav told Yaakov that he will kill him until this day. Four. How many years, do you know? Four. Thirty-four years. Thirty-four years. Anyone here remember someone that he wanted to kill thirty-four years ago? Huh? Do you remember? If, let's say now you're fifty, and uh, when you were sixteen, someone did something horrible to you and you really wanted to kill him. And now you're 34 years later. Do you remember him, Chlal? If they're going to tell you, oh, now I found him. I found him now. There's a way to go kill him now. So, ah, leave me alone. What are you even rem reminding me about that? Esau was not looking for him the whole time. Esau was not looking for him. This was before... We know we have a rule. When you're angry, every minute that passes, the anger comes down. One father said to his son, they had a very big house. He said to him, please promise me, please promise me that before you do anything, you run from one side of the house to the other side of the house. Then you retaliate. Don't retaliate right away. Before you're about to attack one of the servants here or anything, run from one side of the house to the other and then do what you want to do. So by the time he ran, it was about a minute or two. By then he already forgot what he wanted to do. Why anger, it's a... It's the, moment. the heat of the moment. The heat of the moment. I once read another story about a man that was away. He was in jail. They, they go in, put him in jail for many years. He came back to town after so many years. And he came and he ended up in shul. I didn't even remember. They changed the roads. And they said to him, uh, you know, uh, who are you? He said, you used to be here 30 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. And they explained to him how to go. And uh, he went home. Just when he was getting closer, he looked from the window. He saw that his wife is hugging a man. I'm suffering, I'm in jail, and she's never, I never gave her a get, and she's hugging a man. He was already ready with the sword, 
waiting, waiting, waiting. When he came in, she was so happy to see him. He didn't understand. How can it be? She was supposed to be petrified she, if she's with another man. She was so happy, crying from happiness. He said, wait a minute, you don't have another man? She said, no, you fool. That's your son. You left me pregnant when you left. I was ready to kill him and her. The anger sometimes can destroy you. You remember the famous story that I told you about the man in Hulon? Remember or no? He's driving a cement truck. You know those trucks that roll all the time and mix the cement? So he puts next to his driveway a sign, do not block the parkway. And every once in a while there's annoying Israelis who actually park the car very close to the driveway. And he gets angry. He puts notes, bang on their cars, you know, hunk. One time he comes home, not only someone is blocking the driveway, someone is parking in his driveway. In his driveway. So I'm gonna teach this Chatzuf such a lesson, he will never forget. He goes in reverse. The entire cement that he had in his truck, he pulled on that car. And then he had a shovel. He made sure to cover from the sides, that nobody can open it. And the truck everywhere. And then after finally got rid of his anger, this guy will never forget me. He walks inside and he sees 300 people in the house. Surprise, Dad! Happy anniversary! You and Mom today, 25 years. What is this? We made your party. We all chipped in and we bought you a brand new car. Did you see it in the driveway? Did you like it? What, the car in the driveway was mine? Yes. Oh my God, and that was not insured. It was not insured. This is anger. Anger. Speaking about anger, if we already speak about it, happened to be, you know, since I'm not really preparing the lectures. So, let's see what the Torah has to tell us about anger. You ready? No, I tell you, I tell you why. Because after you hear it, you may get per paranoid after that. No, I read if a person gets angry on Shabbos, it's the second Let's see, let's see what the Torah has to say about One of the ways to change is to know what Hashem thinks about you. What He thinks about your behavior. When you know that Hashem, despite what you're doing, that's a very good drive to change. If somebody else doesn't like what you do, ah, big deal, can live without him. People give up some of their friends because they don't want to change their bad habits. Mm -hmm. But when you know Hashem hates what you do, what are you going to do, get rid of Hashem? You have no way out. So you have to adjust yourself to the way Hashem would like you. And that's really the, the, the purpose of life, by the way. Tikkun amidot ze kol adam, the gaon mi vilna se. Akas, the kas, imidara'a. It's a very bad trait. 
כאשר הגרב מחולי הגוף, כן, הכף מחולי הנפש. Just like there are things that destroy the body, anger destroy the nefesh, the soul. And Chazal are telling us in the Gemara Masechet Nedarim, page 22, כל הכועס, everyone that is angry, כל מיני גיהנום שולטים בו. All the judgments of Gehenom of hell controls him. Meaning he loses independence. He's a prisoner of this horrible curse that call anger. As it's written in the book of Kohelet 11.10, ועשר כעס מלבך ועבר העמי בשריך. If you want not to be sick, not to get physical sicknesses, make sure never to get angry. Anger brings all the diseases, all the sicknesses. High blood pressure, heart condition, all these things. You want to be healthy? Be calm. You don't want to have panic attack, stress, anxiety attack, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, all these problems that 90% of the people in the world have. So the key for that is never to get angry. As it's written, Kol po'al Hashem lemaneu Vegam rasha leyom Everything Hashem does, everything in the world, right, is for the sake of heaven. Vegam rasha leyom And a wicked person will end in a place called bad. What's bad? The Gemara says, "Ve'en el Don't tell those uh, clowns that deny that there is Gehenom. All these Reshaim uh, Apikorsim. You know, Santa and his friends. You know, tell them, look, what can we do? You know, maybe you have a different Gemara than us. I tell you, once Rav Uvadi Yosef Zatzal told a story, I got the shock of my life. The shock of my life. If it wasn't public on a, published on a recording, I would never ever believe if someone would tell me that story. I would bet any amount of money that it's a lie. But since I heard it with my own ears from the mouth of Rav Uvadi Yosef, I can tell you that story. I'm going to keep the name of that rabbi out of the story because after all he was a big chacham. I don't want to mess my future. When you deal with chachamim, you don't talk one negative word. So you won't know who I'm talking about. But it was a very famous, very famous rabbi, Ashkenazi. One time Rav Ovadia Yosef Someone organized meeting between two giant Chachamim, Sfaradi and Ashkenazi. And that uh, rabbi, Lishuto Yamer, that, that Ashkenazi rabbi, was a very big Talmud Chacham and supposedly very big Tzaddik and was isolated from the world, meaning he's not so involved with the world, he's involved a lot with Torah. When Ravavadi Yosef came to him, he didn't know who he is, he just knows the Sfaradi Chacham. Shkenazi Chacham, 
There were a lot of meetings like this. Ovadia met Rav Scheinberg and the Belzerebe, many other Ashkenazim. Yeah, yeah, so there was always meeting between big Chamim. It's a, it's a common thing. So what happened? He came to this Ashkenazi rabbi, and guess what the Ashkenazi rabbi asked him? In my own, in my own ears, I heard that. He said, Tagid, tell me, you the Sfaradim have the same Talmud like we have, the Ashkenazim? <laughs> That's when he asked him. <laughs> it took him a few seconds to understand if he understood the question. Once he realized what he asked him, he told him, tell me, the Talmud came from Polania? <laughs> or he came from Iraq, from Babel? Who had the Talmud before? He went to Poland, or he was already in the Middle East before? <laughs> asking me such a question. <laughs> like, well, we are a different nation. We have a different Torah. I just couldn't be, I could not believe that somebody is capable of asking such a question. But I want to give him the benefits of the doubt to think that he was so deep into Torah all his life he probably never met the Sfaradin his entire life. And it's very possible. Very possible. Very possible. So, I, I remember when I, when I came to Lower East Side, there was a synagogue, until, the, until today it's there, a small synagogue, Hasidim de Poli. Hasidim de Poli. He had Gemara there from 1800. Gemaras, big Gemaras. 200 years old, standing on the shelves. I mean, this, this shul has history. Uh, many big tzaddikim used to live in Lower East Side. Besides Rav Moshe Feinstein and Rav Heinkin, there was many other ones, Rav Spiegel, Rav Ashri. Gdole Olam lived there. There was Mamash, a Jewish ghetto there, Lower East Side. Because all the Jews came to seaport. And you know how Jews are. They came from Europe with a suitcase, a little cash, and right away they looked to buy something. They walked around, is it for sale? <laughs> One boat, he bought his brother, his brother bought, the uncle, the cousin. You know, just like all the Bukharians came to Queens, right? And the Georgians all came to Queens. And the Persians all went to LA and to Great Neck. Everybody brings his friend. Friend bring a friend. Syrians all came here to Flatbush and to Brazil and to Panama. One brings, or however one ended up in the same place. One followed the other. That's how it goes. So, one of the Hasidim, the Pauline, this was over 25 years ago, and back then he was 85, this old man. He asked me, tell me, any Sfaradim have a big rabbi today? He asked me. He said, I know in the old days, Sfaradim used to be very big in Torah. Do you know any Sfaradim who knows how to learn? <laughs> you could see from the conversation that he never met once in his life a Sfaradi. Came from yeah, Europe so into the Lower East Side, and that was it. 
So it's very possible that that rabbi actually first time in his life met his father, the rabbi He asked him, do you have the same Talmud? Anyway, so we move on. כל הכועס, everyone who gets angry, אפילו שכינה אינה חשובה נגדו. If you normally have יראת שמיים, you fear God, you respect him, you care about him, you love into him, you talk to him, you love him, all the things that we need to do, and the moment that you get furious, all of that die. Your love to Hashem is on hold. Your fear from him is on hold. Your admiration to Hashem is cancelled. It may be 10 minutes, it may be half an hour, depending on how long you're angry. But it's interesting how in a time of anger, every positive things about you is actually being put on a complete hold. He doesn't even see Hashem in front of his eyes. He doesn't exist. He cares. He, he does horrible things. He will throw things. He will never dare to do it when he's not angry. Yere uh, Shamaim is talking something dirty, cursing. It's One curse can erase 80 years of learning Torah. The holiness that you build in learning Torah 80 years, you got already to a level of a prophet. One time you curse and you lose all the holiness. You don't lose the actual Torah that you learn. What you learn, you learn. The reward is yours already. But the holiness that was among you, that holy spirit that is settling on you from learning so many years Torah and building holiness in your neshama, it's all going down the drain in one second that you curse. Nibul pechad. That's what Chazad say. So, someone that is angry forgets his Torah and become dumb. It's big poison for your wisdom. The angrier you are, the dumber you become. One depends on the other. You know what it is. The tires in the car needs hair. If there's no hair, the car is going to go down the drain. The car, the car is going to fall off the cliff. Why? Air. What's air? One tire doesn't have air, the car is going to pull to the side and die. Same thing over here. Anger kills everything. It kills your wisdom as well. Kikas bechek ksilim yanuach. There is a verse like this in the book of Kohelet, King Solomon. Kas rests among fools. King Solomon. All his Torah, all his wisdom is all divine. Gift from Hashem, as you know. And we all know that someone that is, a, is usually an angry person is wicked. He has much more sins than mitzvot, for sure. Because someone that has much more mitzvot than sins does not get angry that easy. Someone of every little thing is fuming, then you know if you put all his sins on a scale and all his mitzvot, the sins are much, much heavier. That's the indication. How do we know? This is not an assumption. This is not a, a, a human logic or a logical claim. No, no, no. It's all based on verses, what I'm telling you. Where is the verse that says that someone that is angry is a criminal? 
That means he has more crimes than good deeds. Uva'al chema rav pesha. Ve'onsho gadol me'od. Someone who is angry is full of crimes. Rav pesha. Ve'onsho gadol me'od. And his punishment is huge. Sh'ne'emar, as it's written. Gdol chema nose'e onesh. Someone with big anger, his punishment is big as well. Unbearable. You sometimes see people, they get angry and they stay angry. It's very hard to calm them down. Even an hour later, okay, enough. I'll never ever forget. Never in my life, I never saw such thing. We, this story was maybe five years ago, five, six years ago. Every Friday we used to play in a field in Monsi, play okay. soccer, the yeshiva. One of the guys, his cousin from Israel came for a few days to stay in Monsi for a few days. A secular Israeli. In the middle of the game, someone tripped him accidentally, Mamash, very light. There was nothing and it definitely wasn't intentional. For an hour, for an hour, you had to see what this monster was doing. Screaming, cursing, running, trying to kill him. People are stopping him, but it doesn't end. Usually things like this end after a minute or two. For an hour, he doesn't let us play. And he keeps going and going and going, and guess what? I say to the guy, do me a favor, just go home. Go home, because as long as you are here, this guy is not gonna relax. <laughs> So the guy was a nice guy, a Shiva guy, and he was humble, and he apologized to him a few times, and nothing else. So I went into the car, this guy didn't realize because we were holding him. He went to the car and he drove to the Shiva. What do you think this angry monster did? He didn't have a car, he stole a car. He took the key from the bench of one of the cars there, he got into that car and was chasing him to kill him. <laughs> so I gotta call the police, tell the police that is a, a murder is about to happen to give them the address. What did his cousin do? His cousin didn't know where to hide from the embarrassment. <laughs> Imagine if somebody like this will get married. What miserable wife you will have. My heart goes out for her if you ever got married, this guy. Imagine, imagine living with a guy like this. One time she will make a mistake, cause him some damage or something. But who will stop him from killing him? So, I remember when I was a, a kid, there was a kiosk in a, downstairs from where we live. There was this guy, this man, who was so angry. If you make one mistake when you buy, or you want to replace something, <laughs> give you such a look, you die. So me, it was hard for me to decide which ice cream today I want to get. Strawberry banana or vanilla chocolate. So every once in a while I used to go, buy one ice cream, take it out of the fridge. He's standing behind the counter and the fridge is on the other side of the counter. So you open the refrigerator, the freezer, you take the ice cream. And you give it to him, and he had pages of newspapers. All newspapers used to wrap it. <laughs> and he didn't even have a cash register. 
This guy came from uh, some country, and he was uh, hot blood, and he had those rhymes, you know, those uh, little things that he used to do math with, like the old-fashioned way. So after he put it on the counter, he said, excuse me, I just want to replace it. <laughs> what a look he was giving me. After that, you'll never dare to tell him, I'm sorry, I changed my mind. Whatever he took by mistake, poison, give it to me, how much? He was so afraid of it. It's a nightmare, it's a trauma. 45 years later, I still look, I still have his angry face. I, I was shaking from him, from this guy. How angry he was. Why? Because he decided to change the ice cream and take from the fridge a different one. So imagine someone like this, what going on in his house with his wife and children. Let's see, what, I'm going to give you all the sources. Look, if we do it, we cover everything. So, we sometimes see people that are angry and they stay angry for a long time and they lose their mind. You cannot believe what they're capable of doing. Like, this was a perfect example, what I just told you. And they make a lot of big deal with their anger, what they would never dare to do when they're not angry. Not only that, when they were calm and happy, if somebody else will do it, what they normally do when they're angry, they would look very, very ugly in their eyes. This guy's crazy, look what he's doing. Yeah, like you are anything better. Because <laughs> the anger, freeze the brain and the sechel of a person in his, in his head. Freeze it. Pause it. You know how the computer sometimes freeze or your phone freeze? There's nothing you can do. That's it. The brain is frozen. <laughs> and it creates fights. Everybody wants to say the last word and be right and win the argument. Therefore, someone that has hot temper the chance that he will get saved from big sins is very small. Never get angry, therefore you will never commit a sin. Meaning, getting angry brings sins. Okay? Eliyahu Anavi, Elijah the Prophet. That's in Gemara, Masechet Brachot, page 29. And the Chachamim said in the Gemara, Masechet Eruvim, page 65, Bishloshat Varim Nikar Adam. There are three ways to measure a person. Kiso, Koso, and Kaso. Kiso is his pocket. How generous he is. How generous? Stingy or generous? That's one indication. Koso, how he eats and drinks. Barbaric, no manner, <laughs> like this, or he can control himself. See, sometimes people are hungry, they see the food. <laughs> calm down, calm down. Breathe. Ah, give me the bread. Why? Another second will kill you. <laughs> the proof for that is next time when you go to a wedding, when they bring out the dessert table, oh, yeah. then you will remember me. <laughs> like a magnet. I never knew that the grapes and the ice cream and the coffee and the cream cakes have magnetic powers. <laughs> For some reason, whenever they come out, 
everybody sucked into the side of the room. Why? Desire. So, kiso, koso, we got it, koso, meaning what comes into his mouth. And kaso is anger. How is he? Calm, cool, control, or hot blood, temper, bad mouth? You need all three, or just one of them? Huh? Ben Ishchai writes there, in Eretz Yisrael, they put Rashi and Rabbeinu time together. Who has it? It's all over now. They show, they no, show a video. Somebody owns it, I guess. <laughs> Both millions, probably. So, yeah. Some tefillin, one day goes to the Gniza, some tefillin become millions of dollars. Depends who put it, on what head. I told you the story of this guy, Zalman, that paid for the surgery of Rav Eliashiv. Rav Eliashiv was in a life risk when he was 98 years old. He lived to 102. In 98, he had a life risk surgery, and they needed to bring a surgeon from Columbia Hospital in Manhattan to Israel to, to perform the surgery. And as you know, surgeon does not want to use someone else's tools. Everyone is used to his own tools, so they bring the entire equipment with them. And their own nurses. So it was six million dollars. One million the salary of the doctor and his crew, and five million security collateral that the equipment will return to Columbia Hospital. And they needed six million dollars up front, Columbia Hospital. He gets back the five. He gets back the five. So altogether he paid one million dollars for the surgery. This guy Zalman from Monsi. And I used to be in touch with him back then. And one time I was sitting in my car, we talked. And, he, and I told him, wow, how did he have the schut to pay for the surgery of Rav Eliashiv? And what happened after he woke up? I, he said, I told him, Rav Eliashiv, he, he told me, Zalman, there's really nothing I can give you that you probably don't have already. What a man like me can give someone like you, meaning you rich and I'm just an ordinary, you know. So what can I give you? So, so I told him, well, I don't want anything from you, but I would be very happy if you give me your yamaka. Your yamaka. I just got three bucks. So Abel Yashif took his yamaka and gave him his yamaka, exchange and yamaka. I told him, that's, your, that's it? I saw his yamaka on his head. I said, that's the one? He said, are you crazy? I only take it out to special events. Shabbat, Yom Tov, wedding. I don't put it every day. I keep it like it's diamonds. The, the yamaka of the holiest head in the whole world, seven billion people, go one by one. One, two, three, all of them. The greatest brain in the whole world, that was on his head for 20 years. Imagine this. 
What is it? A piece, a piece of velvet. What is it? Because this guy gets all the reward for all the learning of Russia. That I get the reward of the learning. He gets, uh, he gets a, a sentimental uh, thing, you know. Yeah. yeah. So you know, imagine you have the shoes of the Gaon Mivilna. If you wear the shoes now, it's gonna make you the Gaon Mivilna. No, you're still the same. Not you, the same dumb person. You know, so he has the shoes of the Gaon Mivilna, but the head is still the head of the Kurdish guy here. You know, the head doesn't change just because you got the, the uh, yarmulke of the smartest rav. But you know how it is, the feeling, the feeling that it's something special. Listen, if here in America, I heard that one of the NBA players took his uh, teeth protector, a piece of plastic that protects their teeth when they play, got angry and he threw it at the audience on the floor. And one guy jumped and grabbed it and sold it on eBay. For fifteen thousand dollars, piece of plastic garbage like this. Wow. But if you think that that's all, there's something even more strange. There is a great basket. There is a great uh, soccer player, Messi, Argentinian, the best in history. So he was moving from one team to another, and everyone was crying. You know, wow, Mashiach is coming. What a moment of excitement. So they cry. Now he's going to kick a different color ball. Now he was kicking a yellow ball. He's going to kick a white ball now. Wow, what an excitement. So yeah, he's, cry <laughs> he's crying like this. And he had a tissue, a napkin. And he was cleaning his tears. And he left it over there. And one guy grabbed it, and how much he sold it for? One million dollars. What? <laughs> the tears of the best soccer player. So, in a world of lies, people that do not worth a penny worth billions. And people that worth trillions in the eyes of the public are worth nothing. If you take seven and a half billion people and tell them how much would you pay for the yamaka of Ravel Yashiv, probably there would not be any offers. What do I need the yamaka of an old man? What is this piece? What, 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 what are you giving it to me? What is this a scam? He won't agree to buy it. Napkin of someone who knows how to kick the ball, he will pay a million dollars for it. But the yamaka of the biggest tzaddik on earth, you won't pay a dollar for it. Why? That's Alma de Shikra. It has to be like this. The Gemara says, in this world, it's all opposite of the truth. The only one true is the Torah. Everything else is Sheker. Everything around is all Sheker. People pretending, lying. It's all deceiving. People lie also to themselves, not just to others. Everybody is busy lying to someone, include themselves. A Kaasan, angry person, lose favor in the eyes of the public and is hated among all of them. Don't invite him. No, this guy is too angry. I'm not in the mood to see him now. Don't bring him over here. Why? Right away, every little thing, he gets angry. I was, I was once present in a meal, a husband and wife, I stayed by them for a while. There was the wife, her sister, the husband of the wife, and myself and her daughter. Five people were at the table. 
שיקור קצת, late lunch, They got into some argument, and this guy was such an angry person. He picked up the whole table with the soups and the meat and the rice and the drinks, flipped the whole table in her face like this. Person can become worse than any animal in nature. An animal, when they attack, it's necessity. They need to eat. They look very cruel. They look angry. It's all, yeah, obvious. But in reality, they're all robots. When a person does it, it's obviously much, much, much worse. So, someone that is angry, Kaasan, he is a burden to his entire family. Nobody can stand him. Not his wife, not his children, not the parents, not the neighbors, not the people of his synagogue. Everywhere he goes, people would rather keep distance from him. His poor wife is doomed to suffer as long as they're together. What can she do? One guy was one of these angry guys. He said to his wife on Friday night before he went to shul, listen, woman, don't dare to touch the fan. He set the fan on the chair where he's going to sit when he comes back for the meal. So the fan is aiming towards his table, <coughs> towards his chair. And he said, don't press the button that the fan will go left and right. I want the fan to face my seat. It's too hot. In Israel, it's very hot. In the old days, there was no AC. He wants the fan to, to give him some air. He doesn't want the fan to go left and right. He only wants to get good air. Everybody else should sweat. When he came back from shul, He saw the fan is going left and right. He went crazy. He's fuming. He's about to choke her. What is this? You dare to touch the fan? I told you not to dare to touch the fan. I never touch the fan. Don't tell me stories. How the fan is now moving. I'll be honest with you, she said. From the minute you left the door, the fan is searching for you nonstop. <laughs> By the way, that's not such a good idea to tell it to an angry person because that triples the anger. If until now you only get a punch, now you're going to get a knife. <laughs> I have a question. The Gemara says if somebody has a wicked wife, he doesn't go to Gehenna. Does that also work for a husband? Somebody asked me this question on Sunday in Great Nick. Same exact question. See, 26 years, I gave thousands of lectures, nobody asked me that question. And this week, in two days, I, I was asked this question twice. What are the odds? Now, I tell you, on Sunday, somebody asked me in Great Neck, it's going to be posted in December, that lecture. So when it, when it will be posted, you see it there. I, I said that Ishara saved a, a husband from Gehenom, from hell. If he suffer with her so much, it takes away from his hell, from the punishment he deserves to get. So one person asked me, what about the other way around? A bad husband, does he save his wife from hell? Obviously, yes. You heard the question or no? <laughs> question is, a bad husband save the wife from Gehenom or no? I would say yes. 
I know what's written. What's written is, Ishara saves the husband from going to hell. If every day she rebel against him, give him hard time, not cooking, not cleaning, you know, not going to the mikveh, not doesn't want to be intimate with him, all these problems that some women do, saves him from going to hell for all his sins. Question is, what happens if you have an abusive husband? Cursing her, beating her up, insulting her, doesn't give her money, stingy, this, that, every little thing criticized. So she lives already in hell, 30, 40 years. Does it save her from hell or no? The answer is, absolutely. Ah, the women now can relax. Okay, if I already suffer, at least let it get some value. So the answer is, not only a husband and a wife, every suffering you get saves you from hell. You lose money it, instead of receiving other punishment. You had an accident, you have pain, you broke a bone, you're in a hospital, it takes away from the punishment that you're supposed to get. So if you live with an abusive husband for 30, 40 years and he abuses you non-stop, he erases millions of your sins. Most likely, you will not have to pay for your other sins because you already got punished. The only question that I do not know how to answer in this case is, why the Gemara only gave an example of a bad woman and it did not say that the husband as well? I Meaning that's what I don't know. Why the Gemara only gave this example? When it's pretty obvious that every other suffering saves a person from Gehenna. The cast, the anger, brings a person to be always in argument, disagreement, always fight. Always fight. Every little thing, it's a fight. Why this is here? Why you put the AC like this? Why the heat is too low? Why the heat is too much? Why you put too much salt? Why didn't serve this? Why you use this plate? Why the, 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 everything? Why, why, why? You should call him why, why. <laughs> why, why? That's a good name. A criticizer. Every little thing bothers him. So he always in argument. Argument with him, argument with that. Huh? Sometimes people write to me that they got fired from their job. How long they work? One week. No, I don't know who they are. I read the email. Two weeks later, I get an email. Rabbi, your blessing helps. What? I got another job. Another week later, I had a very bad day today. What? I got fired. Two weeks later, Rabbi, Baruch Hashem, I found another job. Another week later, Rabbi, I got fired. Been going on. Six months, ten months. <laughs> after three, four times, what do you understand? Everyone he gets fired after a week. That means he cannot interact with people. Every big mouth, every little thing, cursing, fighting, throwing. A person like this, he might as well walk on a computer from his home. Once comes on, he breaks the computer. <coughs> But they won't have to fight with people. So, someone that is angry, always in disagreement, always in fights with his friends, they will fight with him, he will fight with them, and it will never end. And also it creates jealousy and competition. Someone 
that is angry cannot focus when he prays. Full of anger. He cannot focus on the words. There's always something bothering him. He comes to the synagogue. The Gabbai put the AC on 75. Angry people, as it is, they're always hot. Because the blood is boiling. So imagine now in August, 100 degrees outside, 95% humidity, with the suit and the tie, is already fuming as it is. And he comes to the synagogue and it's very hot. And he looks at the, 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 the thermostat and he sees 75. This cheap gabai, I'm gonna choke him. Again, he put on 75. How many times we told him put on 65? We're dying here. How much you saving? $10 the whole Shabbat. For $10, 500 people will suffer 24 hours over here. Now, obviously, he cannot daven. He doesn't know what he say. His mind is the entire three hours on Shabbat morning. When can I put my hand on that cheap gabai? People with anger, imagine what happened if someone sat in their seat in synagogue before they arrived. They come on Shabbat morning and they see a guest. He's not from town. He doesn't know where to sit, sat in their place. Excuse me? Don't you see a name? I'm sorry, I only sat now. It started at 8. I waited an hour. I didn't know where to sit. I saw no one came. 9 o'clock already. It's almost Musa. I sat. Angry. Angry. Akasan is preventing from himself to hear Musar. Everyone who rebuke him, he wants to kill him. So obviously, don't tell me, don't preach to me, mind your own business, every little thing get him angry. So obviously, he can never rebuke him. If he was a comfortable person, you rebuke him, he will change. You save him from hell. But now, and he doesn't want to hear rebuke, he will continue the same way all his life in mistake. Why? Everyone is afraid to tell him something. Why? Because no one has the guts to tell him his mistakes and his ugly behaving. No one will dare to tell Don't mess with this guy. Whatever you do in this company, don't get on this guy's nerve. You don't want to fall into his mouth. And he thinks, oh, I'm such a gangster. Everyone is shaking for me. But in the end, that's what's going to destroy him. Because then he will realize, wow, if I wasn't like that, many people would direct me in the right direction. <coughs> so everyone is afraid to rebuke him. Klaloshel Dava, the general rule. The angry person can never accept any good trait or any rebuke as long as he's angry. Nothing good gets in, nothing good comes out from him. When you talk, you have to be pleasant. Put some spice in your speech. Let people laugh a little bit. Even if you speak words of rebuke, two hours just to punch on people's head with a, with a hammer, they break. So once in a while you have to have sense of humor. Tell a joke, you change a little bit, people laugh, it relaxes them. Then you give them another hour of 
of punches, but between one punch to another, you have to break the ice a little bit. Akas, the anger, gorem azut laadam, turns a person to an arrogant human being. Anger brings arrogance. Mechamat akas lo ichana, anger cause that you will never surrender. You don't think rationally. And you will never admit I was wrong. Yeah, you're right, I was wrong. I want to ask you a question. What's harder for a person to say I was wrong or to tell his friend you're right? You're right, you're right. Two people argue. He say left, he say right. In the end, after an hour of argument, you already know you lost. What's easier for you to get out of this argument? To tell your friend, you know what? You're right. You're right. Or to say, you know what? I was wrong. Which one is harder? It's impossible for you to say I was wrong. It's very difficult to say to someone you are right, because your ego is dying now. But when saying to someone you are right, it still left you some dignity in your mind. Meaning you are right, but I'm also not wrong. I was also right. It could be that both of us are right. So by me saying you are right, I didn't really lose fully. It's not a knockout. I lost by points. It's not as bad. But to say I was wrong, that's a knockout. Now it depends how great you are. If you have good traits, does not bother you at all. And there is a higher level. When you know your friend is right, the worst level is not to admit. You die and you will not admit. You will argue for months. Knowing is right. That's the worst person. The next level, which is not as bad, is after a long argument, you say you are right. But you won't say I was wrong. The next level is that you are able to say, I was wrong. That's already higher. And there is the highest level. What's the fourth and best level? That you are willing to tell him, I was wrong, knowing you are 100% right. And you still tell him, you're right, I, I was wrong. You're right. Right? Let him be happy. Big deal. And so you have no ego whatsoever. Even when you know for sure you're right, you tell him, no, no, you're right, I was totally wrong, I'm sorry, I apologize. It won't happen again. That's a hero already. That's only legends like Avraham Avinu, David HaMelech, people like this. David HaMelech, when Shaul was chasing him to kill him, Shaul was chasing him to kill him, Shaul needed to use a bathroom. It wasn't like today. I heard in San Francisco, they made a bathroom for the homeless people. It's five stars bathroom. If you go in, you don't, nobody has a bathroom like this in his house. It's so fancy. You don't want to come out of there. Where the homeless live? They should live in a bathroom, better than hotel. So back then, the king like Shaul, when he needs to go to the bathroom, he has to go outside in the forest. In a cave, in a cave, covering it with sand. That's how life was. There's no sewer, no flushing, none of this. No Italian imported marble. You know, heated seat. 
TV. <laughs> when I was in China, first time in my life I saw a bathroom with 20 buttons. I didn't know what's all these buttons. I never saw it anywhere else. I said before I mess up with the electric over here, <laughs> I unplugged it. Right, by mistake, I don't know what's going to happen, laser, this, going to start working, flashing, right? You know. So Shaul needed the bathroom, he went into a cave, David was hiding in that cave. David could have killed him. And he was able to kill him and save his own life, because Shaul, someone who comes to kill you, you kill him first. But he didn't kill him, he only cut the corner of his coat. Just cut the corner of his coat to prove one day, you see, look what I have in my hand. I could have killed you. I could have killed you. Maybe that would spare my life. If he comes to kill me, say, well, before you kill me, I just want you to know I was, I was able to kill you from behind. Look, I cut your coat. You're wondering who cut your coat? Here, it was me. But I didn't touch you. Maybe you will ease his anger. David Amelech was praying to Hashem, if Shaul is right, make him find me and chop me to pieces. It wasn't like us. When, the, when we are running away from the police or from our enemy or from any authority or who knows who, someone who's after you to hurt you, when you pray to Hashem, take away this rasha, kill him, make him blind, whatever you can say. Save me from this monster, I can take it. He didn't pray like this. He said, if he's right, help him to find me and kill me. That's the way he was praying. I don't want any favors. If I'm guilty and I deserve to die, he's chasing me. He's a righteous man, I'm a righteous man. He, he chased me thinking I deserve to die. If he's right, don't help me. Help him to find me and kill me. If I'm right, save me for me. If he's right, help him to find me and kill me. Why? I only want to stick to the truth. I don't care what's in it for me. Good, bad, that's already not in my head. It's a very high level. How many people like this here in the whole history of the world? Every thief prays, make the police, the, the detective die, make the police lose my file, blow up their building, I don't know, maybe hopefully terrorists will blow up the FBI building, they lose my case. He doesn't care, let 15 of them die, as long as nobody will do anything to him. Knowing he's guilty, a murderer pray to Hashem that the policeman who's chasing him will fail. What about the truth that you are a murderer and you deserve to get caught? He doesn't care about the truth, he cares about himself. But someone that is extremely righteous, he says, Hashem, do what's right. Do what's right. If I deserve, give me. If not, don't. That's a very high level. So, they will never admit for the truth. And the Chachamim in Gemara say, if you want to buy yourself a new friend, you don't know if this person, you should be his friend or not. You don't know who he is. You just met him. You met him in some place, in a lecture. You gave him a ride, or he gave you a ride. You're just meeting him now. I had guests uh, from uh, California in my house for Shabbat, and I invited a very good friend of mine, 
Because I knew it's going to be very good shiduch between the head of the family from California and my friend. Right away I knew they're going to have chemistry and they're going to like each other and they're also in the same field of work. I knew for sure, I already saw it in my vision how it's going to end. But I didn't know it's going to be in 24 hours. I thought it's going to take a month or two. But already 24 hours later they call me, you sure he's great, right? Like he looks. So yeah, he's a great guy, because we're about to do a big deal with him. <laughs> so, you know, so, <laughs> so if you want to find a good friend, get him angry. That's why I told my students when I was teaching in Yeshiva and they used to go on dates. I say, I want to know if the girl is good, get her angry, see how she reacts. See how she reacts. If she's calm and she's in control, polite and this, she's not starting, you know, to go crazy, very good. You have a future with her. Same thing I told the girls. Get the guy angry in the table once or twice. See how he reacts. If he's dating you when he's trying to kiss up and impress you, hoping you're going to take him, and he's going like this in the middle of the things, or starting to scream and throw the chair, or who knows what, or gets up, Excuse me five minutes, let me go out and relax. You already know this guy, this guy is going to choke you. You want to be his, his wife? You're out of your mind. <laughs> when will you find out? Before the chupa, everyone is an angel. How are you? Hi. Open the door for him. One girl said, I went on a date with this guy. And I was begging Hashem that he will not open the door of the car for me. Most girls beg to Hashem that he will be a gentleman, will come with flowers and open the door like in a Turkish movie. Such a romantic hero. You know, my dear, here, open the door for her. You okay? Close it. This. So this girl said, I was really hoping that he will not open the door for me. <laughs> so we asked, why? She said, because I can't stand hypocrite. <laughs> Nobody does these things today. If somebody does it, it's only in a time of dating. After he put the ring on, he does not continue to open the door for his wife. So I don't want a hypocrite. I don't want someone to put a show a month before and then after that we'll turn to who he really is. I want to see who you are from the beginning. Good point, no? So, so, the anger caused the person, caused the other person to find out who you are. Then he'll know he can get safe from not connecting with you. If a person, you got him angry, and now you're talking to him about a subject and he admits for the truth what is angry. That's a great friend. Meaning once he's angry and upset, he's willing to still admit on the truth. Then when he's gonna become, for sure he's always gonna stick to the truth. Fantastic. If not, leave him alone. Stay away from him. Anger make you make critical mistakes. 
most people make the biggest mistake in life in moments of anger. Moments of anger. Like the story of this man from Kew uh, Garden Hills, uh, Ashkenazi American lawyer. True story. His wife, Loa Lenu, passed from cancer and they had one daughter, Shulamis. Shulamis. She was in high school at that time when her mother died, I think in nine or ten grade. She pretended to be religious until the end of twelfth grade, this Shulamis, because she was angry at Hashem, he took away her mother, you know how it is. Usually women and children follow their hearts much more than they follow their head. Not that they don't have a head, they could be very clever and smart. But when the feelings wake up, it's going to be very difficult for the, for the brain to overcome the heart. Even by men it's like this in this generation, but by women it's needless to say. And children as well. You give a child a candy, it's yours for life. You give him a bad look or you yell at him, he can look at you. This friend of mine that I just told you about, he has a son. A little kid. One time I yelled at him, but not really yelled. I said, no, like this, that's it. Every time he see me, like he see the devil. <laughs> right away, he turns his face. Binyamin, Binyamin. He goes like this. No matter what you try, offer him candy, offer him ice cream. Let's make peace, Binyamin. Say, <laughs> so, yeah, he never forgets. It's been already two years. <laughs> I see him in a shul. As soon as he sees me, he, turn, he makes a turn. One time I told him no, meaning he was about to touch something dangerous. He said, no, that's it. Like this. One time I grabbed him from his father's uh, arms. Binyamin, come let me give you a key. I had to see how he was screaming. No! <laughs> Women and children, the heart dominant. So, this uh, lawyer from Kew Garden Niels, when his daughter Shulamis became, uh, she graduated high school, 12th grade, she came to her father, she told him, I need $10,000. I'm going with my friends on a trip for six months. Father was very rich, so ten thousand dollars didn't scare him so much. And he said to her, Where will you go? She said to him, To India, hmm. the land of the idol worshipping. India. Almost everybody there is an idol worshipper. Almost everyone, besides the Muslims. Everyone else there is an idol worshipper. And many, many different courts and and Buddhist and Hindus and Christians and so many idol worshippers over there. Where this, he thinks his daughter is Jewish, I mean uh, religious. He doesn't understand that for two years she's only pretending. He said to her, a religious girl from Yeshiva going to India for six months? Are you out of your mind? She said to him, Dad, that's the time to break it up to you. I'm not religious already for two years. I didn't want to upset you. But I'm, I'm done with the religion. She decided to go to India, and he said to her, listen, if you're going to India, I'm done with you. Don't call me. Don't send me any letters. 
I lost your mother, now I lose you, and that's it, you never ever see me again. And she went anyway. Tov, she goes to India, she meets an Israeli guy, secular Israeli. Why Israeli went to India? What's the reason? You're too naive, my friend, vacation. <laughs> vacation they can have in Israel if they want. They go to India for one reason only, to get cheap drugs and all kinds of other things. They lay on the beach in Goa, all they smoke grass, it's peanuts over there. Many of them took bad drugs and became mentally ill for the rest of their life. They lost their mind. Many, hundreds of them, destroyed over them. Some ended up in jails with rats like the size of a watermelon. Horrible stories you heard over the years. So she meets an Israeli guy, and what do they do? They sell handcrafted jewelry, silver, you know, in the flea markets. American hippies. They create all kinds of jewelries, you know what I'm talking about. One time they go to a flea market and another American girl from New York, she meets her, Shulamis, how are you? Wow, I haven't seen you for a while. Listen, I'm so sorry for what happened to your father, the girl say. She she's not in touch with her father because she keeps sending letters and never responded. What do you mean? What happened to my father? What? You don't know? He got, after you left, he got a heart attack and he died. That's why I wasn't answering the letters. He was dead already all this time. As soon as she heard that, she felt so guilty. Wow, what have I done to my father? How could I have done such a thing? Because of me, probably died from a broken heart. She came to that Israeli guy, Itzik! Itzik, what? Get up! We have to live here. Where? Where are we going? I want you to take me to the holiest place in Israel. Holy? What, what do you have with holy now? What do you, becoming religious? My dad died, this, that. Itzik only knew the Western world. I'll take you to the Kotel, you want? Yeah, let's go to the Kotel. They got air, air tickets and they now get to the Kotel. Now she comes to the Kotel, first time she's in Israel. She's never been in Israel. 18 years old, 19 years old, whatever she was. She comes to the Kotel and she stands and she sees all the women over there davening, praying, crying, writing notes, putting in the wall. She's staring at the wall and she doesn't know what to do, basically. One woman says to her, Do you know you're looking for a, a, a pen and a, and a paper to write something? She says, Yeah, it's a good idea. Here, here is a paper, here is a pen, write something, put it on the, on the wall. So she wrote whatever she wrote. Now where are you going to put it? All the holes are stuffed already with notes. So the woman told her, there is the mechitza, the separation between the men and the women, that fence that they put on wheels. Get her on a chair and put it right above it. Over there you'll be able to, because no one stick it above the mechitza. So she went and she stuck the note above the mechitza. And by mistake, a different note fell out. That was already there. You know, it's very hard because there's so many notes. A different note fell to the other side of the mechitza. She get, she got off the chair. She was thinking, it's not fair. I put my note and I took someone else's note. I have to put it back. 
So she crawled on the floor. She, between the mechitza to the floor, there is a space. You know, there's the wheels. There's about 10 inches space. So she put her hands like this to look for the note. She found the note. In the meantime, the note started to open. You know how it is. It fell on the floor, it started to open. So she's holding the note now. She's about to push it back in, but she got curious. People are curious. I wonder what other people are writing. She wants to know if she did the right thing, what she wrote. Maybe she get an idea. So she opened the note, and the note was, Dear God, you know that what I told my daughter, I never meant it. It was a moment of anger. I lost my mind. It was the biggest mistake I ever made. I'm sick now. I'm dying. I have nobody left. I left all my money by my lawyer. All I'm begging you is that you please have mercy on her that she will meet a Jew and marry a Jew. That she will not marry someone that is not from our nation. And she is now dying from broken heart, who is the letter of her father. Father put the letter in a note in the Western world. So, she obviously decided that that said, I gotta do tshuva. This guy Itzik followed her. They took all the millions that the father left by the lawyer trust. They built an apartment, they bought an apartment in an old city. And the time that they sent the letter to the, to the book editor, they already had five religious kids. Meaning it happened like 10 years earlier almost, the story. So what are the odds that she, Hashem directed her to find what her, because without finding that note, she would never ever know about all the money and what happened. She would think her father is alive another 10 years. Who knows what would happen? But that just to show you a moment of anger could have been devastating to such a point that all your life saving will go to the waste. One moment of anger. So, the anger is making a person make critical mistakes. And we can learn it from Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest man ever lived, Moses. And he got angry how many times in his life? Three. Three times. Very good. Who say three? Sorry. Three places Moshe Rabbeinu got angry. One, got angry on his two nephews, the sons of Aaron. Not angry about something they did to him. That they did not do exactly what Hashem instructed. Another time he got angry at the wicked people and he called them Shimuna Amorim. Listen, you morons. No. <laughs> Sounds like morons. <laughs> Mori means rebellions. And the third time, when he hit the rock, Vaiktsof Moshe al Three times. And what happened right after that? 
היא פורגת סם אוף דה הלכות. פורגת סם אוף דה לא, זה השם טוענים. So what do we see? That anger cause you to be mistaken. Someone that get angry and rape his clothes from anger. Or break his tools, like throwing a glass, boom. Or all kinds, whatever he has in his hand, throw it. That's very common, by the way. People are angry, they like to throw things. To break it, whatever. Break the glass, break the table, throw the chair. Someone that does that, or throw money, or anything like that, count like an idol worshiper 100%. It counts like he just bowed down to Buddha. He said to this religious man who just got so angry and threw his money on the floor or at his wife's face, just take the money and get out of here. Right now in Shamayim, the Satan prepare a case. This guy Moshe is an idol worshiper. Today he bowed down to the cow or to Buddha. One day this guy died. That's a mistake. It's not me. No, no, it's not a mistake. Over here we don't make mistakes. It's not the Supreme Court of Manhattan here. Over here there's no mistakes. But I never bow down to an idol. I'm telling you it's a mistake. No, it's not a mistake. That day you count like an idol worshiper. Why? The question is, what's the connection between getting angry to idol worshiping? What's the connection? Why are you equal to an idol worshiper? Why don't you say you're equal to a murderer? You're equal to a thief? You're equal to an animal? Why? Why it has to be equal to an idol worshiper? What's the connection? The common denominator? Exactly. Because when you're angry, it's like declaring, I don't believe in God. What happens now, it's random. That's why I'm angry. Bad luck. Oof, why me? But if you know it's from Hashem, how would you dare to be angry? Okay, I'm sorry, you're right, I'm sorry. We have the guts to be angry. I'll give you a great marshal, you will understand what I'm talking about. You walk in the street, and out of nowhere, someone behind you is tapping on your back. Boom! But real hard. I broke your spine. The blood went into your brain. Went to your brain. You already closed your fist like this. Ready to turn around and give this, this guy such a yishkoach. Like boom to his face. And you turn around and you see the best friend who saved your life in the army. The most lovable person in your entire life. You haven't seen him for 10 years. Moshe! Itzik! Achi! You don't tell him that. You already were ready to knock down all his teeth. So the question is what happened in that one and a half second from the minute you got the punch on your back and you were ready to turn around and break his face to pieces and he turned to the greatest feeling and love and happiness and in less than a second you forgot about the anger. You realize who hit you. From the minute you realize who hit you, the cause of the anger did not exist anymore. 
So right away you hug him. Wow, I've been looking for you. How you been? So if someone just gave you a smack and it's clear to you it's Hashem, who you know loves you and does so much for you, would you get angry? No. Hashem, thank you for not forgetting about me. It's good, the wake-up call from time to time. There is another way to turn anger into calm face in less than a second. This we just understood. That there's another way. Who can tell me how? <laughs> when I was young, in where I live, there is a place called Passage. I wonder if it's a French word or an English word. Passage. What is it? A street full of stores, but with a ceiling. It's like a mall, but not, it's not really a mall. You enter from one street and you live and you get out from a parallel street. And this is mamash like an indoor street. It's called Passage and they have a lot of stores. In Milan, like the shuk. Like a shuk, shuk with a cover. So my friend from school, his father had shoe stores over there. He used to bring nice shoes from Italy. For reasonable prices. And he had a woman there working. She runs the store. And my friend, after school, used to go and help a little bit. One time I came to buy shoes, and I'm standing by the window, checking maybe this one, this one, this one, this one. Thinking, standing by the window, and I hear the woman fuming on the phone, fighting with someone on the phone. Wow, what a scream, and cursing, and this, and this. I'll show you, and blah, blah, blah. I've been waiting for her to finish with the anger, but it's not going away. I want to buy the shoes already. I'm not going to stand here all day. So you know what? I'm going in anyway. I walked in. She's with the phone. And as soon as she saw a customer come in, you know those stores, every time you come in, it's a new. That's a bell. As soon as she turned and she saw me by the door, she hung up the phone. How are you, sir? How are you today? With such a smile, charming smile. She saw a potential commission. All day she probably waited for customer. She saw money. The shake of the of the of the hundred shekel bills. In less than a second she forgot about the anger. Hi, how are you today? How can I help you? <laughs> So, we see that anger can be managed, if there is enough reason for it. Even though anger is one of the worst traits, sometimes it's positive. Sometimes it's positive. When can anger be positive? Against the wicked people. For instance, to fight the wicked people. When you see them, you gotta be extremely tough and make them shake from you. Don't kiss up to them. Hi, how are you? Hashem loves everyone. Don't worry, you're going to heaven. You have a seat between the Rebbe and the Baba Sali in heaven. They prepare for your VIP. But I'm, uh, I'm married to a Goya. So what? So what? 
בלם גלאט שומר שבת, I'm sure you don't mean anything. It's enough you do kiddush, you're a big tzaddik, but I still all day. בעזרת השם, one day you stop, we have big hope in you. You sure I'm righteous? Yeah, just don't forget to write the check before I leave. You're very righteous. Yeah, yeah, of course. You're a Jew, how can you not be righteous? But I'm a liberal. I donate to the Hamas. Oh, I'm sure you feel very bad for the suffering of the Palestinian people. You're very humanic. Actually, I like you very much now, even more than before. You know these people? I want to vomit when I see them. Shem loves everyone. What about the Rambam, Al-Achad, that Hashem cannot stand the wicked people? What about it? It's the law. That's the law. That's not maybe yes, maybe not. That's the law. The official law. Yesterday was despicable and hated and pushed away, and now he's loved after he did tshuva. Changed 180 degrees in his status. I don't care. So when there are wicked people, <coughs> turn on the turbo button. Now you're going into an anger mode. But don't go crazy angry. Throwing things, cursing, screaming. No! Be Show him that is nothing. You are nothing. Garbage is better than you. That's how you have to talk to them, Rabbi Victor Miller Zatzal said. Yeah. Eliminate them. Today was today, they sent it on a group today. Today they send it on a group. You should join that group. It's treasure. They send a few divrei Torah from the tapes of Rabbi Victor Miller, the legendary tzaddik and chacham. Question and answer. He said, someone asked him, how do you live among wicked people? How do you treat them? You work in the office, in the streets, in this, the family. They have to eliminate them completely. That they are nothing. Dust in the wind, nothing. Below, worse than animals. That's the only way you differentiate yourself from them. Why? Because when you start kissing up to them and friendly with them, you become one of them. You have to see in all these stupid Israeli shows, they have people who want to be singers, you know, what's your competition. So they have all kinds of kids coming. Unfortunately, a lot of these kids are religious kids. Yamaka, Peot. Someone sent a video a few days ago of one Temani, Yemenite. Such a contradiction in a person's life. Yaakov and Esav in the same person. They have a little uh, preview about the life of this Temani. It's probably 20 years old, 18 years old, I don't know exactly. He teaches people how to read in the Torah. The Temanim are the most authentic tradition. So they have this way, they were 2600 years in the same place in exile, in Yemen. And he never had one Mechalel Shabbat in the history of Yemen over there. Never, not even one until today. In the land of Yemen, a Jew never ever was Mechalel Shabbat. Every other country, they were Mechalel Shabbat. Every country. Yemen, not even one until today, 2600 years. The down-to-earth, primitive, 
not big eyes, not university, not heresy, none of these things. Torah, modesty, the girls cover their hair from three years old already, cover their hair. There was nothing besides religion there. Of course, the food was kosher. There was barely no food. That's why all their food is all dough. All the Yemenite food, it's yeah. water and flour. That's it. Yeah. There's no money for anything. The poverty, what kept them holy. They didn't have the fancy schmancy life of America that everyone became wicked here almost. Because there was nothing to do, they only had Torah and holiness, that's it. All their food is dough. Jachnun, water and uh, margarine and, and flour. Malawach, same thing. Fatut, same thing. They have all kinds of other things. Everything is the same thing. Dough. Dough, you take wheat, you grind it. What mix it with water? It costs you a dollar for the whole family, the whole week you eat. There's nothing else to eat. So, the, this kid, they show you like two minutes how he teach someone to read in the Torah. Very interesting because he teach someone for Bar Mitzvah, but the, the other kid was Ashkenazi. But he was a secular Ashkenazi, so he doesn't care about the tradition. So they looked for someone to teach him to read in the Torah for Bar Mitzvah, they found that Temani. The Temani knows all the Teamim. Zakef Katan, he knows everything. And he has two long peot, like this, long. And now he comes to sing in a show of the most wicked people, full of gays, full of Michalele Shabbat, full of Kufrim. And he has to sing that they will pass him or fail him. You have to see how delighted these Reshaim are that one of us, the religious people, show them empathy. They ask him, how does it go with your religion? He has to hug a girl, and he has to sing songs of, what song he sang of some go here from America? Something about love, I don't know what song. But you have to see the happiness of the wicked Rishayim, those judges in the show. How happy they were that the religious people becoming normal. Wow, you open, we see more and more religious people becoming normal. And they can tolerate us the way we are. We all Jews. What's Jewish about you? The judges in the show. I want to vomit. I saw this video. I wanted to vomit. And they ask him, how do you live with this contradiction? <laughs> they were curious. He said, I don't see a contradiction. I have a question for you. Yeah. So how do you compare the anger to... Idolism. You said if you get angry and do so both people, so both people have no God in the minute that you're angry. It's like it didn't come from God. It's coincidence. And when you bow down to a cow, that means that's the God. You eliminate the real God. So in both cases, you do the same transaction. Now you eliminate God by by bowing down to a cow, and you eliminate God by giving a punch to a human being who got you angry not thinking that Hashem is doing it to you. Someone stole from you. You're dying to catch him and kill him. But you don't understand that in Rosh Hashanah Hashem wrote that you must lose this money with or without him. Why are you putting all your life into finding the person? So that's why it's compared 
to an idol worshiper. You got it? Yeah. Also, one other permission there is to be angry or to pretend that you're angry is to get your children scared that they want to do something stupid. So meaning if your kid wants to do something that is against the law, you have to pretend at least. Better to always be in control, never to get angry. But to pretend that you're so upset and fuming when just when he has this idea what he was about to do. What? How can you do such thing? You're gonna do such thing to Hashem? What kind of a kid you are? Where, where is your dignity? Where is your gratefulness? So therefore, he's gonna get scared. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't know what, what, was, what I was thinking. You gotta do it. Why? Because if you say to him, okay, darling, you wanna smoke with your friend? No problem, it makes you happy. Okay, son, go. I wanna do, I wanna go to this filthy place with all the, oh yeah, it makes you happy, okay. Live and let live. That's not the role of a father. Father has to be a general sometimes. Loving, yes. Caring, yes. You know, but a general. A general, you're afraid of a general. You know, I remember when they used to tell us in the army, tomorrow we have all day preparation for Misdar Hamempei. Misdar means a checkout. The leader of the base, the, the, the big commander, general, is coming to get an impression how the soldiers are. Everybody must iron their, his uniform and shine his shoes and clean his rifle. They give you a special brush and you look inside and before he comes, there is a lot of checkout. First the small general and then the one above him and the one above him. They make it like God is coming. Muhammad Arsinai. Three days preparation for some loser idiots, lefty, that soon is going to cooperate with the Hamas in a few years when he's going to be the chief of command. So he's coming and he checks everything. So he comes to me. Mizrahi, let me check your gun. Check inside. Oh, you have elephants inside. <laughs> if you have a little dust, he may cause the gun not to shoot. Believe it or not. A little tiny dust in a rifle. So he looks inside in a light. Mizrahi, he didn't clean it good. You have an elephant. Elephant, let me see. You don't see anything. Yeah, yeah, don't you see? You have an elephant over there. <laughs> Meaning it's blocked. Guess what happened? 46 soldiers standing like this. And finally the moment arrived. And the general is walking in. I am the third one on the right, and right across from me, the biggest clown in a history standing. Danny, little guy, Danny, just looking in his face, impossible not to laugh. But if you laugh now, you're gonna be 21 days in jail. Imagine you laugh now when the big general comes in. He really thinks he's some kind of a god. You know, it's all it's so disgusting, this whole show-off and fakeness of this Soldiers coming in. I'm fucked. Yes. Walks in. Goes like this. I will not stand like this. This guy begin to make me faces. 
I begin to laugh. He laughed. And four the other soldiers started to laugh. And the other generals, they don't know where to bury themselves. How we came out of that moment without a big prison, I don't know how. But that's it. How did we get to that now? Help us out. Let me ask the question, though. Yeah, he asked the question about idolatry. Ah, that was a long time ago, his question. No, but that's how we got to it. So, never reach happiness. When a person is not happy, he never ever accept the events on his life with understanding and happiness. Never. Always complain. He never justify what happened to him that Hashem is right and he's wrong. Never. He always want to find someone else to blame. He can never serve Hashem faithfully with happiness, never ever. Always have the grouch, always sour face, always sad, always angry. <coughs> you know, if a person sees that his anger begins to grow, he's starting to fume, he has to make sure to stay silent, not to start talking. <coughs> Why? Because when you begin to talk about the problem, what's getting you angry right now, you become ten times more angry in less than five seconds. As soon as you begin to talk about it, the level of anger will grow ten times higher than to hold it inside. That's psychologically proven. Same thing when you talk about faith, you become a believer. That's what David HaMelech writes in Tehillim. Emanti ki adaber. Do you know why I'm such a great believer? Why I always stuck to Hashem and I always take everything and I never question anything and I have full confidence and faith and peace of mind. Why? With all my problems in life, I'm always attached to Hashem. Emanti, why I'm such a believer? Ki adaber. Because I always talk about emuna, 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 faith, confidence, faith, Hashem, 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 enon milvado, all these things. Because of that, I'm a great believer. Same thing when you begin to talk about something. You see, check next time when someone begins an argument. See while he begins to talk about what's bothering him, how he begins to get red and shaking and starting to raise his voice. By the minute, get angrier and more and more. And if you try to calm him down now or to tell him that he's wrong, it's like throwing oil into the fire. That's why the Gemara say, when a person is in a peak of his anger, do not say a word to him. Let him first get the anger out, calm down, wait a little bit, then talk to him. Better he will talk to you. If you come in the middle, oh, what can happen? You triple the anger. 
זו מגביה הקולו בשעת כעסו, התעורר הכעס. When you raise your voice, you get angrier. But if you're silent, speak quietly, it comes everyone down, not just yourself, everyone around you. So, if he's someone that is in charge of the public, the rabbi, the gabai, the president of the shul, people like that, Anyone, and the people in the community do not behave properly. How are you going to rebuke them and push them back to the right track? Show them that you are very upset with them. Kedei liyasram. Yirei atzmo bifneem shehu koes. Show that you're very upset at them. Even though you may be in your heart, you're fully loving them and everything is fine and you're not really angry. But you show them the upset face that they will get scared and start to do tshuva. Also, at the same time while you are doing it, the same time while you are doing it, make sure not to really grow your anger inside and start really fighting with them. The way of the righteous, in the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, page 88, the Gemara says, the righteous people, they're being insulted, but they never insult. Hear the shame, someone shaming them, but they do not shame anyone, and they do not answer back. Do out of love, and happy in the summer, in the suffering. And then if they do that, the verse in the book of Judges 5, verse 31, there are compare ve'o'avav ketzet ha'shemesh b'gvurato. This lover of Hashem that get the shame but do not answer, get the insult but they do not insult, they are compared to the sun. Why to the sun? Why to the sun? You say they compare to Avraham Avinu, they compare to David Amelech, they compare to an angel, something like that. I understand. What compare to the sun? What does it mean compare to the sun? When Hashem created the sun and the moon, they were both equally same in the size. Both of them were sun. Today the moon is much smaller and it's only a reflector. What the sun uh, light on the on on moon, it reflects back to us, but it really doesn't give any light, the moon. But the original creation, Hashem made the sun and the moon equal. Both of them like projectors. And the angel of the moon came to Hashem and said, cannot be two bosses controlling the same yard. Both of them give service to the world, both of them is, are needed. It cannot be two equal ones. One has to be higher than the other. <laughs> cannot be two bosses in one store. One manager, it cannot be two managers. He say yes, the other one say no. Okay, so Hashem said, you know, you're right. So we will make you small. This entire time when the angel of the, of the moon were objecting and complaining why the, the sun is equal to the moon, what did the angel of the sun did? 
nothing, did not reply. Didn't make an argument, oh, what do you, what do you care? Why, why would you want one of us to be small? It's okay, I'm okay with that. Didn't say anything. Heard the insult and did not answer back. That's why when someone hears the insult and does not answer back, leave it to Hashem, it's equal to the sun. But what happened? Hashem did to the moon something very interesting. Very interesting. First, the moon got punished. But at the same time, Hashem did two more things to the moon. To compensate the moon, Hashem gave the moon all the stars. The stars that are far away, they look very small. They belong to the section of the moon. So it's the moon and the stars and the sun. Two sides. Sun in one side and everyone else in the other side. And Hashem promised to the moon, meaning to the angel is in charge of the moon, that in the future to come, after the Mashiach would come and everything, the moon will go back to the original way it was created. What are we learning from this Midrash? What do you think the Chachamim were bored? So they're telling us nice stories that we have what to talk about? What's the significance of this story is very, very crucial. That when you raise a child, or when you are a boss in a company, or when you are a leader in a unit, and you need to deal with one of the people under your supervision, and you need to punish them because the punishment is necessary to maintain the operation of the company or the family or whatever, you have to remember, yes, punish, you need to punish. But if you punish and throw the person away, that's not building him up. That's not good for the long run. No. So what do you do? First, you cheer him up. I'm firing you from this position, but I'm going to try to help you out to get that job. I'm throwing you from my yeshiva, but not before I'm going to speak to the Rosh Yeshiva over there and tell him about all the good things about you that he should accept you. Meaning, I'm not just punishing you, I care about you. So Hashem did to the moon an educational punishment. I'm punishing you, but I'm cheering you up by giving you all the stars. And I give you hope for the future. If you will repent and become good again, I will bring you back to the original job that you just got fired from. I will let you come back home if you do tshuva. I will give you back the money that you lost. Whatever the case is. So now they have two good things that can bring the person back. One, my boss or my father or my general, whatever the case was, is throwing me out, of, out of, of, of my greatness. I'm losing my status. But he's helping me not to take the full suffering, to make it a little bit sweeter by giving me some things that cheer me up. But he also promised me that if I will fix what I've done wrong, the time will come and he will re reinstate me back to where I was. And that's a very important thing in education. Just to punish, just to take revenge against someone who went wrong or did something wrong, 
will usually not help unless you show him he care about him and he suffer and you suffer with him and that you promise him that if he will fix the problem he will be able to go back to the same way he was before he lost the, the benefits that he had before. And you should know the rule. Birzon Hashem, Birzot Hashem Darkeish, Gam Oivav Yashlim Ito. There's a big rule in life. When Hashem is happy in a way of a man or woman, you're righteous, you follow the Torah, and Hashem is happy for what you do. Hashem will make all your enemies surrender to you and make peace with you. One by one. The general, this, the neighbor, the boss, your competition, your ex-wife, your ex-husband, the in-laws, whoever wants to hurt you. If you will clarify and fix everything between you and Hashem, everyone else will make peace with you as well. This was, this, uh, the last hour and a half was just not a part of the lecture, you know, it's parentheses. <laughs> we just talked about anger, so I decided, you know what, let me give you the whole nine yards about anger. Now we can continue to where we started. You remember what I was talking about before? Yeah, why is it for years? <laughs> See why I need to be a chusid? He's <laughs> the only one. I used to have a rabbi like this. We called him Melech HaReversim. The king of the reverse. That's why we used to call him in Yeshiva, Rafael Rosenman, still in Monsi. If ever you come to Monsi, you must come and get a bracha from him. Because where else in the entire universe you would find a man that is close to seven years old and he never got angry one time in his entire life? Never. I asked him once, because he always smiling. He's in heaven, in this world. He's in heaven. He always have this piece of in his face and light. And he's in a different world. I asked him, Rabbi. I don't know how I had the nerve back then to ask him such a question, but I said, Rabbi, did you ever get angry in your life? So he said, you're not allowed to be angry. I said, we also know you're not allowed to get angry every hour. <laughs> question is, did you ever lose your temper? And the answer was no. I mean, how can I even think about doing such thing? Do you know someone that lived seven years and never got angry once? and never stop smiling, no matter what. Where would you find people like this? And he knows the whole Torah. Anything you want. The Shiur Gemara begins, an hour speech about the Zohar. And then a Midrash, and then Shira Shirim, and then Midrash Rabbah, and then this book, and that book, and this book. And then after an hour and a half, the speech finished, and he would ask, how did we get to here? <laughs> And of course, nobody would know. They already went from one story to another. We don't remember anything. How did we start this journey? And he was the only one who always knew when did it all start. And he went right back. Oh, you ask about this, and he said this, and that's why we talked about that. And he knew how to go back. 
and continue from where we left. So, we were 34 years, Esav did not see Yaakov. After 34 years, he's still angry. Why Yaakov has to send angels, real angels, to cheer Esav after 34 years? Why waking up the bear? The bear is sleeping. Why you wake him up? He may eat you alive. Make him sleep. 34 years Esav didn't find you. He probably by now forgot about what happened. If you send him a messenger, dear Esav, al tirtach, Adon Esav, don't get angry. Right away you remind him why he was angry. Don't wake up the dead. Finish. But apparently it's a big mystery. Esav was angry or not? When Esav saw Yaakov, it was like a real brother, hugging this, that, brother, let's be together. Who are the children, you know, like a real, uh, a real uh, reunion. Fake. You know? Fake or not, it's fine, as long as it doesn't come. Oh, I waited for you to slaughter you all these years. Finally, it's going to happen. No. You came in peace. Fake peace. I wish the Goim will always have fake peace with us. <laughs> I sign on it with two ends. Like give us the fake smile, tell us that we love, we love you Jews, you are the best, you and in their mind thinking, when can we kill them and never touch us? Okay. I live with that. No attacks, no pogroms, no holocaust, no fighting, no terrorism. Just internal anger. I live with that. I buy it. Problem today that is much worse than just hatred. It actually goes into actions. So the question is, in one hand, he walks with 400 soldiers. What for? It comes to a war. Mm -hmm. So what really happened here? He actually did look for Yaakov to kill him with 400 men. He comes to a war, and then when he saw Yaakov, his good heart woke up. After all, he's the son of uh, Yitzhak. He has to have some good point in him. And a mercy came out, and he, while he was about to kill him, he said, let it go. Brother, oh, I missed you. It happens sometimes. You come to a fight, and when you see the person, you know what, you say, wow, what a fool I am. Forget it, I'm sorry. What happened? I don't know, I couldn't do it. So what really happened? Let's see. The nature of a human being, after a while, he forgets the anger in him. 34 years went. For 14 years, Yaakov was in yeshiva of Shem Vaever. It's two yeshivot. The yeshiva of Shem, the old man, the old tzaddik, and Ever was younger. Now I want to ask you a question. Which yeshiva was greater? The yeshiva of Shem or the yeshiva of Ever? Shem. One thing for sure is that no two yeshivot are exactly in the same level. Right? If there was a way for us, only Hashem knows. If you ask Hashem, from zero to a hundred, take every yeshiva in the world and give that yeshiva a mark. From zero to a hundred. Let's say one yeshiva would be 70, and the one 75, and this one 90, and this one 50, and this one 20. Depend what's going on over there. The level of the learning, the behaving, the musar, the rabbis, the facility, what they learn. There's a lot of different criteria. 
Only Hashem can rate. It's very hard for us to know which, all the time uh, my kids ask me, which Shiva's better? Hebron? This one? Porat Yosef? Ponovich? Who knows what you think, that what you hear on the news, that's the truth? Only Hashem knows. It's only Hashem can answer this question. And by the way, by Hashem, it doesn't mean necessarily that the Yeshiva learned Gemara in the highest level is the best Yeshiva in his eyes. In a, in a show-off world, that's how people rate Yeshivot. Rich Yeshiva is prestige, meaning ah, the highest level. But maybe people are arrogant there, maybe there's hatred, sinat china, maybe there's politics there. Maybe people don't behave, maybe they barely daven like the way they should. Who knows? Only Hashem knows. It could be some yeshiva that the level of learning is lower, but the people there are angels. They focus very much on personality and traits and avala, and everyone loves each other. So only Hashem really knows to answer this question. Really, nobody knows. It's the same thing like asking from all the gdole ador we had in the last hundred years, who is really the greatest? Is it the Chazonish? Is it the Ben Ishchai? Is it Chacham Ovadia? Is it Rav Ben Zion Abba Shaul? Depends who you ask. You ask the student of Rav Ben Zion Abba Shaul, they will swear to you that no one was like him. You ask the student of the Chazonish, the Chazonish Nikim in Bnei Brak, you even ask such a question? You finish by us. You ask the student of Rav Yashiv, they'll swear that he was the biggest. And everyone can bring you hundreds of proofs why his rabbi was the biggest in the last hundred years. But who was the biggest? Only Hashem can answer. Only Hashem. Because even if, let's say, let's say I was the biggest one in the last hundred years in Torah, and I would be able to meet all the biggest Talmidei Chachamim in the world one by one and examine them, and finally understand all their knowledge in Torah, which is obviously impossible, it will take a million years to do such a research. But there are many hidden factors. How does he behave in hidden doors? How he wakes up in the morning? How does he daven? What's in his mind in the middle of davening? How much chesed he does? Uh, you know, his, his simple lifestyle. Does he like fancy things? That he, that he wants to live in a more simple way, like the Chazanish was. So many other factors. So just knowing knowledge and holiness, what we see in our eyes, that's only one factor. There are so many other things that only Hashem knows how to evaluate a person, whether he's a huge Chacham or a small Chacham or even a, a wicked person and to evaluate you exactly and to put a mark on you. And also, it also connects to your reincarnations, where you came from, who you used to be in your past life, what yeshiva your, your parents put you. Sometimes uh, parents, before they became religious, they put their kids in co-ed yeshiva, which is a disaster. Dead sentence to the soul of those kids, the boys and the girls. Up to three, four years old, you can barely see the difference because they don't understand that much. When they get six, seven, already they understand. And they do bad things. They do bad things kids are curious. They want to know. They begin to ask questions. They touch each other, do all kinds of things. And then it will affect them for the rest of their life. After you move him from that school and you move him to yeshiva, when he gets 16, 17, he does a lot of horrible scenes, and that's because when he was four or five, you put him with girls. 
and they, you know, all kinds of other things. And that's dangerous because a lot of parents do not understand. So, the question that we have over here, Abotai, if a person fooled the public again and again and again and again, right? When his friend finally found out, he is very angry at him, big anger. For the first thing he did to him, the second thing, but after many, many years, how would you know if he still hold the grouch against you? You did bad things to him, but many years passed by. You want to know if your friend still angry at you or not. How would you know? The answer is, when you see that your brother had two kids, and he named them after the incident of you cheating him. Let's say you stole from him a building in Manhattan, the name of the building was uh, the X building, I don't know. So he called the son the X building. And then you stole from him another building called the Sophia building. So he's called his daughter Sophia. That means already 20 years after the incident, he's still very much angry about that incident that he's naming his children after it. Or if he wrote a book, and in a book that was written two years ago, 20 years after the fact, he described in detail how you destroyed him and stole from him and who knows. Then you know he's still, he's still angry. So now the question is like this. 34 years passed. 14 years, Yaakov was by the yeshiva of Shem Vaever. And you know, 14 years that his children were born and six years that he worked by Lavan. So together, 14 years in Yeshivot, seven years for Rachel, seven years for Leah, and six years for the sheep. Together, 34 years. Now he left the house of Lavan, and who comes? Saddam Hussein with 400 Iraqi soldiers with mustaches like this. Coming, <laughs> ready. Abdullah, Mustafa, Ahmed, they all walks now. Follow the general. And the chief rabbi is coming with the religious kids. You know, the rebbe and the kids coming to Saddam Hussein and his soldiers. The question that I ask you, you forgot already. I almost forgot myself. Which yeshiva was greater? So we say the yeshiva of Shem. So in that case, why Yaakov has to go to the other yeshiva? The other yeshiva is for people with lower level. If you got accepted to the best yeshiva, you say to them, okay, I'm going to learn by one year, but then next year I want to go to that yeshiva. Why? Why would you want to go there? You got accepted to the top yeshiva. No, I also want to learn there. I'm humbled. <laughs> I'm humble. A guy got accepted to Harvard Law School next to Hussein Obama. Being here and Hussein sitting here. So he comes to the head of the university. I want to go to Queen's College. With no offense to those who went. But everybody, I guess, Queen's College is not exactly Harvard. That's what I understand from what people talk. So he's saying, well, why do you want to leave Harvard and go to Queen's College? I'm down to earth. 
I don't want to spend too much money. Huh? I don't want to spend too much money. Oh, you know, the other person said next to me, in Obama. So how did Yaakov learn the yeshiva of Shem and then move to Ever? But Shem, Shem was before the flood. I don't understand. Ever was after you have right now yeshiva of Gdolador. You know what, let's give an example from life. You live in Brooklyn. Rabbi Victor Miller was still alive. You have the biggest, most legendary, number one rabbi in the history of America living in your neighborhood. And he gives classes and he gives lectures and you have the best example how a person should live. So you want to leave him and go to some uh, ordinary rabbi in a different town that doesn't reach 5% of his level or even 10% or 20 or 50. Everybody knows there's a big difference. Why would you do such thing? Everyone will come to you and say to you, I don't understand. You have a gold coin and you replace it with a silver coin? Shem was not like that. That's why it says he was in Ava, not Hashem. He wasn't alive. Because he wasn't around him. No. So maybe his father told him, I don't think he's not pushed by Ava Yishi or Shem. Jacob needed to learn how to deal with people like from before the flood and from after the flood. Ever was during the tower above it, people who have different type of ideology. So we have to say, Rabotai, from here we learn that a person learns person should learn where his heart is attracted to. He may be in the best yeshiva in the world, but he, his heart is not there. He suffers there. I've seen cases like this. I've seen people who learn in big yeshivot, great prestige, and they say to me, what do you think, should I move to that yeshiva? I said, why would you like to leave such an important yeshiva, it's good for your reputation, for the future shiduch, and go to that anonymous yeshiva that nobody even knows they exist? He said, my heart is not here, I suffer here. I don't like this and I don't like that. So what would you have to tell him? Stay and suffer there for the next three years until you get married because it's good for your resume? Mm. Or he has to go to a place where he's going to be closer to Hashem? Mm. The answer is to learn in a place that gets him closer to Hashem and he will be happy there and would enjoy to learn and would learn more even though he's lower level than there could be. Another possibility maybe by then Shem passed already. And he had to move to different yeshiva. So it could be also that. It, it could be many different Shem. reasons. It could have been Hashem because it was by his father the whole time. It was only for 14 years in yeshiva. 14 years, yes. So We're talking about only those 14 years. So it couldn't have been Hashem ever. Why? It couldn't have been Hashem because it's always by his father. Hashem lived many, many, many years. How do you know when he passed? I'm saying he was always by his father. He only left his father's house when Isaac was chasing him. How do you know Hashem wasn't alive when he left the father? The Chachamim said that he learned by Shem Vaever after he left his father's house running away from Esau. For sure, Shem was still alive, there's no question about that. So, like I said, Yaakov found out that Esau called two places on after the tricks that he did to him. Arza Seir, it's a memory of his stealing the blessing from him by pretending he's him. And Sde Edom, he called the field Edom. 
after the soup, the, lent, the red lentil soup. Two places that Esav was in charge, he named after the two tricks that Yaakov did to him. So that leaves no doubt. He's furious. Look at this. He's, he's memorizing everything. From here Yaakov realized that Esav is not cheered up and he's still angry. That's why I need to send angels to him to cheer him up and calm him down and hopefully we can reach some settlement. This is what's written, Vaishlach Yaakov Malachim Lefanav Elechav Elesav Achiv. Why is it? Because he heard Arza Seir and Sdeedom. Esav, which mitzvah was great in? One good mitzvah Esav that we all could learn from him. Re respecting his father. Kibud Av. Esav was ready to serve Yitzchak always, faithfully. Vayomer elav, bni, vayomer elav ineni, amir, at your servant. That was his life. His father go like this. Yes, father. Almost like us. Chazal say, not me. Chazal say, Besha'a shaya meshameshet aviv. Lo haya meshamsho ila bebigde malchut. He used to get dressed in war in clothes of king. It's not a kavod to serve you when I dress like a... Like nothing. I have to dress properly. Similar to these rich people, that you go to their mansions and you have the, the, gen, the manager of the house dress better than a chatan in his wedding. <laughs> oh, Ty, this. How are you doing, sir? How are you doing, man? Butler. 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 Yes, Butler. Butler. Top. Butler. The butler dressed better than all the people who comes to visit there. Why? Because he's representing his master. But the question is, the question is, what are the motives of Esau? The internal motives. Why is he doing that? All this honor was real or was all a show-off? If, if it was real and he really cared about his father, why did he leave his old blind father and move to the land of Edom? Who does such a thing? Do you know how many times a week I get questions here in America of religious people who wants to move to Israel, but they have a mother or a father that they are alone here and they're old. And by the way, usually it's always secular parents, meaning a woman that her and her husband wants to move to Israel with the children. They're ready to move, but she has a mother in Manhattan. She has a mother in Long Island, and the mother is totally not religious. And the mother is usually a complainer, and doesn't appreciate, and mechalelet Shabbat, and itaref, and her heart does not let her leave her mother here alone. Even though Medicaid gave her a nurse, and she's not going to be homeless on the street. She has her own home, and she has someone who takes care of her, but how can I go to Israel and leave my mother here alone? Hundreds of times I heard those questions. 
Esav didn't have this question. His father is blind, he's old, he moved. Where are you going? I moved to New York, dead. Eretz Edom. Doesn't look to me like such a respect. So in that case, was he respecting his father or it's all a show off? That's the question. The answer is he had a plan. What was his plan? He wants to get the blessing when the time comes. If you're going to mess up, you're not going to get the blessing. And the blessing is your eternity, your future, your children, everything, your wealth, your control. Look at the power of a blessing of a tzaddik. Yitzchak, the blessing that Yitzchak gave to Yaakov and to Esav happened one by one, all of them, until this moment. The curse that Noah cursed Ham and Knan happened until this moment. Did never expire the curse. This moment, it still exists. You can never get rid of it. The power of something that comes from a holy mouth is unbelievable. Once Esav saw that he lost the blessing, he kicked his father in a second and moved away, meaning he didn't care so much. So it was all selfish reasons. There is few more proofs that his respecting of his father was not really real. Few other proofs. Why? Did he respect also his mother? Zero. Didn't care about his mother. If you're such a tzaddik, and you care about respecting Kabedet Avicha Vetimecha, you have to respect both. If you're a tzaddik, you respect both of them, because that's what Hashem said. You don't respect only one. Why would you respect only the father? Because he has the money and the blessing. For instance, if you see a father divorced the mother, did not give her anything, left her on the street, he has all the money and the power and it's not a person you want to mess with and the boy left with the mother, took her side, helped her, support her, got his father angry and he told him, I'm going to cut you out of the wheel. You're going to lose 20 million dollars. And he said, go to hell, you and your money. You're a monster, you're a weak, wicked person, look what you did to her. And he took her side for the truth. It's a tzaddik, it's not a rasha. He gave her 20 million dollars to do the right thing. Most boys would not want to get the, the, the father angry. Why, why are you going against your mother with this monster, with this rasha? You don't see, he left me and he went with the goya and he eats taref, he's mechalel shabbat and I'm a religious woman and look what he did to me. So, I don't want to get him angry. I'm going to get married, who's going to pay for the wedding, who's going to buy me an apartment, one day I'm going to go into the business, I don't want to lose my stocks in the company. I have a friend, he's a big karate guy. He has a karate school here in Brooklyn, for probably more than 30 years by now. He's, he's one of my first ballet tshuva, the first 10, he's one of them. He was the champion of the United States in karate. Even represented United States in the Olympic Games as a representative of the karate. Very serious karate guy. He had a Goya works for him. Goya, some Italian Goya works for him in a karate school. Managing the school when you know he's teaching karate and she was doing the paperwork, the accounting. 
When I started to make him about tshuva, I gave him my first video, Informatia Elokit, Divine Information. That's why the website called Divine Information. Because we made the first film to do Hiruv in the history of the Jewish nation. First time someone ever made a video with movies and pictures and music to attract people to follow the truth of the Torah, there was this film, Informatia Elokit. So he became Baal Shuvah, Shomer Shabbat, okay? And she is listening to what he listens in a, in a place. So she decided she wants to convert. But she has a father that is very rich guy. She has two more sisters. And the father opened a CD fund to each one of the three daughters, $20 million in the account of each one of the three. Meaning $60 million he already put in his lifetime. She has $20 million on her name, but it needs his release. The father found out she wants to convert to Judaism. <laughs> he told her on my dead body, if you become a Jew, you can forget about your 20 million. I want to remind you that 25 years ago, 26 years ago, 20 million dollar was like 80 million dollar today. Same power. Because everything goes up, great inflation, crazy inflation. 26 years ago, you would buy a house here in Great Neck for $380,000. Today, $3 million, so almost 10 times more. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, maybe it was more than 100 million back then. As far as power to buy things. It's a lot of money. Who would hear about 20 million dollars 26 years ago? It was a huge amount. And she said to her father, I don't care. I don't want anything from you. For a long, long time, she gave up on the money. Who convinced her not to do this mistake? Stay, <laughs> go, take the 20 million. Why do you need to be a Jew to have all this headache? It's difficult as it is. Especially going to be a poor Jew. Be a righteous Goya. As long as you don't believe in any idol or anything like that. You be a good person, love Hashem, love the Torah. That's it. You go to heaven. You don't have to be a Jew to go to heaven if you're goy. You can be a righteous goy and go to heaven. If you ask the Muslim, can I be a righteous Jew and go to heaven? No, he didn't accept Muhammad on you. You go to hell. Can I be a righteous Jew and uh, don't believe in JC and go to heaven? No, JC is the only one who can take you to heaven. <laughs> By the way, this thing... These things do not apply only to Goim. It's also in Jewish courts. Among Jews, you have groups of people that have the same ideology. Like one of them is a famous one, I don't want to say his name, because he has also a lot of schuyot. But one famous speaker of one of the groups, I heard him in my own ears, in a tape. He said to his uh, student, he said to them, do you really think you can do tshuva on your own? Do you really think that you can connect to Hashem on your own? You're dreaming. Who do you think you are? The only one who can connect you to God is Rabbeinu, our Rabbi. Who is the Rabbi? 
רבי נחמן מברסלב. רבי נחמן ליבטואנרדיר, זה גוד צדיק עם יוקריין עובדר, עם אומן. ונאט קוושנינג, איזה רייצ'סנס או איניטינג לדעת. The only one who can connect you to Hashem is Rabbeinu, Rabbi Nachman. Nothing will help you. Not your Torah, not your Shabbat, not your Kashrut. The only one who can connect you to Hashem is the Tzadik. So you have to connect to him, and he will connect you to Hashem. Without him, you don't have anything. Pure Christianity. Pure. Now 1% difference between what the Christians say about JC to what he said about him. And I'm sure he caused a huge aggravation to Rabbi Nachman Mibreskev in the world of the truth. That he comes and say to people who became religious and learn Torah and keep Shabbat and left the phony life and they live according to the Torah, coming to shul, praying, learning, And he said to them, you cannot connect to Hashem unless you connect to a human being. Even to say this on Moshe Rabbeinu, it's idol worshiping. To say, I cannot connect to Hashem unless I connect first to Moshe, and he will connect me to Hashem, that's pure idol worshiping. To have a rabbi? Of course you must have a rabbi. But who's to say that you only can connect to Hashem through your rabbi? You learn Torah from your rabbi. You learn what to do and what not to do, and how to improve. <coughs> rabbi is a teacher. What's a rabbi? He's a doctor of a soul. You don't get your life through your doctor. The doctor improves your life, tells you what to do, what to eat, what not to eat. What to... Based on his advice and teaching, you become a better, a better Jew. But to say, I cannot connect to Hashem unless he will connect me, Shem Erachem. Some people go to a grave of a righteous people and pray to the righteous man to give him such and such. Give me this, give me this, give me that. Help me to get married, help me to get cured. That's also idol worshiping. If you go to a grave of a tzaddik, you have to say, for the merit of the righteous person that is here, that Hashem should listen to my prayer. Hashem, not him. A militiosher is a lawyer. You don't come, you don't come to the judge and say, they say that the only one who can help me is my lawyer. It's not, it's, the judge is above your lawyer. There is Hashem. The lawyer can help you. The lawyer can make your case better. So that's why you say, for the merit of this tzaddik, that's why you go to his grave. Why you go to the grave? The merit of this lawyer, here, right here, For the merit of this tzaddik, then my prayers will be accepted by whom? Not by the tzaddik. By Hashem. It's a thin line here. You come to do a mitzvah and you become a Christian. If you pray to the tzaddik there, it doesn't matter who. Rambam, Ramchal, Rabbi Akiva, it doesn't matter who. You pray to the human being who's buried there, you're an idol worshiper. You lose your share to the world to come. There's thousands of Jews like this that lost their share to the world to come just for that. That's what the Torah says. and Mechalel Shabbat are 100% like going. And they get cut. It's kavet. 
the soul is going to be cut. Yes. Are you permitted to go to that shul then? If uh, a shul that they worship a man over there, you're not allowed to step there. Doesn't matter which man, Jewish man, not Jewish man. You know, in uh, Turkey, it used to be Shabtai Tzvi. Yeah. Everybody was sure he's the Mashiach. He was very charismatic, knowledgeable. He had a cult. Until today, they exist. More than 200 years later. He converted to Islam in the end. And they still follow him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. People from their pride and they will never admit I was wrong, they still have cut up time. When I was in Amsterdam, in Holland, I saw that in a synagogue where I prayed, they do not read certain parts of the davening. Like when they take out the, the Sefer Torah, they don't say Berich Shemeh. Certain things. I asked the rabbi over there, he don't say Berich Shemeh. He say anything over here that connects to Kabbalah, it's illegal. We don't use, we don't say. Yeah. Why? Shabtai Tzvi. The tragedy, the trauma that he caused all over the communities, the, com the tragedy that it caused them was so big that they decided no matter what kind of Kabbalistic will come around, we don't want anything to do with them. They don't say parts from the Kabbalah, that's how he explained it to me. Why is it? of the damage that this leader of a cult made. By the way, he was not the only phony Mashiach in the Jewish nation. I saw a book like this thick. Frank. Hundreds of pages, maybe three, four hundred pages, with one fake Mashiach after the other. Frank. Frank. Huh? Frank. Frank. And many. One was in Yaman. In every, in every, we have different fake Mashiachim in many places. JC was only one of many. Shabbat Shalom was like 400 years ago. 400? It's before the Bashem That's what people... Bashem Tov was 200 years ago. No, almost 300 already. Almost 300? Yeah. So Shabbat is before him. They have until today cut Shabbat Cult of the Shabbat Shaptaim, Shabbat Shabbat so, Rabotai, the idea is he got to respect the tzaddik, to learn in his book, to praise him. It's all fine. You love this rabbi, he loves this rabbi. He give respect to all other rabbis. You kosher Jew. You take one and make him a god or an idol, or he's the only one, or he's the son of God, or he's what, a prophet, or whatever it is, it becomes an idol worshipping. And you got to be very, very careful. How do they, how do they have a connection between... Connecting to a tzaddik and then to Hashem, how, how do they connect to the tzaddik? What does it mean to connect to a tzaddik? Can you explain to me? Connect, connect, explain to me what does it mean to connect to a tzaddik? What, you have a plug and you plug into the ear of the tzaddik? You push the plug in, what, on the nose maybe? What, on your mouth? Where do you stick the plug? What do you mean connect to the tzaddik? You're talking spiritually. Or when you connect to him spiritually, what's on your mind? What do you have in your mind? I want to connect to the Rambam now. Show me how to do it. Ah, you learn his Torah. Here you go. So every book you learn, you connect to the soul of that tzaddik. No problem. The Gemara When you read the Torah of a tzaddik, his lips are moving in grave. It's metaphoric. His lips do not move. There's a skeleton or a dead body. Obviously, he's under the sand. 
Meaning in Olam Abba, it's like you talking from his mouth. You're moving his lips. You're speaking something the Rambam say. It's like the Rambam now talking. Is you reading someone's letter, right? After he passed, it's like this person is talking. Like watching a video of someone who passed. He leaves a will to his children on a video. They all watch it now like it's live. And they follow him. And they follow his instruction even though he's here already in the, in the next world. That's what it means. So how you connect to him? You say, I co connect me to Hashem because without you I cannot connect to Hashem. I cannot do tshuva on my own. But you can't tell a tzaddik to fight for me in heaven. You can say a tzaddik be. I told you to, to ask for tzaddik to be your lawyer in heaven. You can do that. But the best way, Rabota, is to connect directly to Hashem. Directly. You learn from every tzaddik, every talmid chacham, everyone who is kosher, you learn. Don't be like those fools. I'm Sfaradi, I learn only from Sfaradim. I'm Hasid, I learn only from Hasidim. I'm Yemenite, I learn only from Temanim. I'm Litvish, I learn only from Litvish. I'm Chazonishnik, I only learn from the Chazonish. That's pure stupidity. Every big Talmid Chacham in the world, there is a lot to learn from. Doesn't matter who you are, Sfaradi, Ashkenazi. If you're Sfaradi and Rav Eliashif say beautiful Dvar Torah, you're not going to listen to him because he came from Syria? Of course, ma. So even the prophets, they were from different country, and we all learned from their books. One was from Iraq, one was from Iran, Paras, Persia. We learned, it's all a part of the Tanakh. One of them was a Goy. Eof. Wasn't even Jewish. And we learned from him just exactly like we learned from every other Jewish prophet. The rabbi said story the Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll finish with that story. Good, you reminded me. One Yemenite guy that was very sharp in learning, very, most Yemenites have very sharp head for Gemara, and he came to Ponovich Yeshiva. It's Back then it was for sure probably the best yeshiva. And it's not easy to get accepted, especially when your skin was dark in that time. So they don't accept him, even though he can pass any test that they give him. So he came to the Chazonish to complain that for, diff for political reasons they don't accept him. I wouldn't be good enough. No problem, they're right. I'm not in the level. But I'm definitely in their level. Chazonish spoke to him in Limud. He saw that he's a very Talmid Chacham, serious, definitely can learn there. So the Chazonish told him, maybe it wasn't Ponovich, I don't want to make a mistake here. It was maybe a different yeshiva. I don't know which yeshiva. One of these big shots yeshiva. Chazonish told him, go to that yeshiva, take all the Rambam books from the shelf, put it on the table. Take the Rashba, take the Gemara, take the Ramban, take the Benishcha, take everything out, put, and take Shulchan Aruch, put everything on the table and make a big pile of them. Chazonish, which was Ashkenazi, the Chazonish. Chazonish told him, do that. He said, well, what will I do that for? He said, they're all going to look at you. You're a stranger. You came out of nowhere. And you're making piles of books, taking them all from the shelf. And they're all going to come, excuse me, what do you do here? He said, I cannot be in this yeshiva. None of them can be here. So they're going to ask you, what do you mean? So they're all Sfaradim. Some of them have dark skin, like me. They're not allowed here. Get them out of here. 
they get the point. If they give you our time, tell them I tell you to do. I told you to do it. I don't have to tell you that five minutes later they accepted him and he was one of the sharks of that yeshiva. It's very sad that after 3,300 years, some people in the world still think about others in a racist examination. You can check a person by his actions, by his behaving, by his righteousness or by his wickedness. That's it. Not by his accent or color or beauty. This is all external nonsense. Righteous or wicked? Generous or stingy? A crook or, or decent? A deceiver or an honest man? Shomer Shabbat, Mechalel Shabbat. Modest or chas v'shalom parutz? That's how you. That's how you exam people. That's how Hashem exam people. How Hashem evaluate people by their beautiful eyes? He gave them those eyes. By the color of the skin, he painted them. A painter. I love this wall. Why? I'm, I'm in love with the wall. Look at the color. You just painted it. <laughs> What's the wall deserve that you love him so much? Stuart. I made you like this, you're trying to impress me with your beauty, or with your color, or with your accent. I decided you're going to live in this country, that's going to be your accent. That's going to be your language. Even if you're smart or stupid, I decided. I gave you a sharp brain, and I gave your brother a stupid brain. You cannot understand anything, what you understand in a minute, it takes, it takes him a week. The only thing you can impress me with is efforts. You give your life for the truth or no? You work hard to be righteous or no? The achievements are important, but they are not the most important. The most important in life is the effort. Did you do your maximum to fulfill your full potential? Yes or no? What was the result? It's really not critical. Became Rav Ovadia Yosef, or you just became and Avrech Yeshiva that nobody knows, but learn to roll your life to the maximum, you're just as good. Bah, but nobody knows me, I didn't write hundreds of books, I wasn't the prosec of the generation, you were not meant to. You fulfilled your maximum, maximum potential. There's no one more successful than you. Could you do better? No, you did your max. That's it, I'll give you an example. You have a Toyota Camry and a Ferrari. <laughs> Especially the new Camrys, they make them very slow and noisy. Not like the old ones used to be good. Now they made them garbage. Probably they cut a lot of the qualities. It's mamash garbage. A Nissan, b'chlal garbage. <laughs> a Nissan, if you lease a car from Nissan, you marry them for life. They never buy the car after the lease. They don't let you. They play such dirty tricks. Because they know now cars worth more. Yeah. They give you hell. We cannot sell you the car directly. Go to a dealer. And the dealer is already trained to give you back and forth forever. You cannot buy the car. And then they begin to own your credit. And begin to give you penalty. They force you to give back the car. And now, of course, you have much more mileage. So they're going to kill you with five more thousand dollars for the mileage. And all kinds of fee and scratches and this. Bottom line, Nissan is hell on earth. Infinity as well. It's one company. Stay away from them. Don't ever touch their cars. They're much evil. 
trust for money, they have no integrity, no ethics, no nothing. They constantly give you all the run around. And every one of them you ask, what's the payoff? They give you a different number. Different number. I once wanted to buy a car from the list of Toyota. There was one phone call. What's the payoff? This is the final. Where do I send the check? They give an address, send the check. A month later, he got the title. It was the end of it. With them, six months of struggle. They don't let. Why? Prices of the cars went up. You have a contract that you're going to be able to buy the car in the end of the lease, but this is from three and a half years ago. Who would ever believe that cars would be 45, 50% more expensive? Within a month, it all went up like crazy. So they want to make the profit. Why should you make the profit? You understand what's happening here? So that's it. So what I'm trying to say to conclude, Rabotai, the, you have a Toyota Camry and you have a Ferrari. Both drivers hit the, the gas the maximum they could. One arrived to the end of the path 10 minutes faster than the other. Anyone gives credit to the driver of the Ferrari? Chazaku <laughs> Baruch, such a great driver. The poor guy with the Toyota also tried, doesn't move. Both of them did the maximum they could. Can you say that the Ferrari driver is better than the driver of the Toyota? I'll prove to you you're wrong. Let them switch now. <laughs> What's going to be? Same result. Same result. That's exactly how Hashem judged the world. You, you hit the gas all the way to the end, you're good. You hit it only halfway, oh, you didn't make enough effort. That's a different story. It's your fault now. You did the maximum you could, the rest is not in your hand. So don't ever be upset that you learned so much and your friend in yeshiva learned the same and he's much better than you. So what? In the eyes of the world, he is. But in the eyes of Hashem, you're just as good or better. If you were proud and you became humble and you were, st you were stingy and you became uh, generous and you were very angry and now you're very calm and decent, that's it. You are a hero in the eyes of Hashem. Sometimes a person who learns two hours a day and work all day and is honest in his business and does chesed and helps the customers and never get angry and does such a kiddush Hashem in the street and everyone look at this Jew, wow, what a nice man this guy is. He sometimes achieves more than someone who learns all day in yeshiva but is not as great and doesn't do such a kiddush Hashem and doesn't behave so nice. There is a guy in Monsi, next to Monsi, a goy. Some people say he's a Jew. He's definitely not a religious Jew. Some say he's a goy that married to a Jewish woman. Some say, no, it's really a Jew. There's a lot of stories about this guy. Taylor, his name. You have to see the name he has. He's the most honest, decent person. You never saw such a such an honest person. He's so honest that my brother once bought four brand new tires from him. He sell tires and he fix tires. Four brand new tires and a week later he told all this car. He then had an accident, the car went to the garbage. And he brought back the four tires if he can get some credit from him. 
some credit for me. And I told him, it's not fair you should lose after a week, give him full credit. Full credit. And it does, it's not a customer that comes every week. Only bought four times for It's uh, amazing. Someone like this, assuming he's religious, keeping the mitzvot, and behave like this for the years, and everyone knows he's a religious Jew, and he behaves like this. Do you know what a Kiddush Hashem he does? He's a king in the next world. There is one guy like this here in, uh, in Brooklyn. Mazal Otto Repair. Remember the name. The guy is a Yemenite guy, Yefet, Yefet Shalmoni. I was there. One old man, Goy, came, said to him, please replace the compressor of my air condition. Hot summer, car doesn't get cool. He said, okay, compressor is a few hundred dollars, just the part. Leave the car, come back in two hours. The old man came back in two hours, and I'm sitting there the whole time, they're fixing my car also. He came back after two hours, and he said to him, your car is ready. He gives him the key. How much? On the house. Why? It was not a compressor. You told me to change the compressor. You're lucky I checked. It was only a fuse. Fuse cost a dollar. The old man was, I never, I just looked, it was like, he didn't understand. Is he dreaming or what? Because remember, he didn't come and say, check the car. And he told him it's a compressor. He told him, change the compressor, meaning in another place they lied to him and they told him the compressor is dead. So he came to him to do it cheaper. And now he tells him, no, it wasn't a compressor, it was only a fuse. You don't have to pay $700. So the guy say, okay, let me pay you at least for the fuse. Say, enough, on the house, enjoy. But this is like this every day for, for 40 years. Who doesn't want to have such a mechanic? Where is he located? Right here in Ralph Avenue. <laughs> Mazal Auto Repair. When you go there, tell him I sent you. <laughs> don't worry, I don't take commission for that. It's one million percent true the story. You can ask him if it happened Still or not. There? Still there, yes. Mazal Auto Repair. Besides that he's a great guy, that's besides the point. In general, we're talking about integrity. You mean in, some people just cannot cheat. Cannot. My father was like this. He never ever in his life lied or cheated anyone. He couldn't say lie. His entire life. Imagine living a whole life without lying. What's harder? To live a whole life without lying and cheating? Or to live the entire life without getting angry once? The answer is, both of them are extremely difficult, but depend to whom. To my father, it was not difficult at all never to lie and never to cheat. He never had Yetzirah for it. He never had to fight with himself. Should I say it? Should I not say it? It was his nature from a very young age. Even my aunt said, ah, your father from a young age was like this. He didn't know how to cheat. Not only that, he used to go and work for people, go look for diamonds for them to save them money and, and lose two days of work. And he didn't want to charge for the time. I used to tell him, at least charge what you lost. No, it's family. How can you say such thing? <laughs> I remember I asked him, what happened? Sometimes when he used to make the diamonds, sometimes the diamond fly. 
and you have to look for it on the floor. But the problem is that the floor was so black, so dirty, because nobody ever washed it there. It's a factory, all the noise of the... So, and the stone, before it becomes so shiny, it's also black. It's raw, raw diamond. So now go and find a little, little one carat diamond in such a black, and it can fly 10 or 20 feet away. It can fly all the way to the other side of the room. Sometimes it flies into the face. Some of them have holes in the face. You know what it is? Boiling diamond fly into your face? It gets stuck inside. It's crazy. Some of them walk with glass. Anyway, so I remember I asked my father, so what happened if one stone fly, everybody stopped to work, courtesy, all the workers, everyone crawl on the floor, and they reclines, and they all look for it. So I asked my father, I was a little child, I asked him, what happened if one of them will find it and put it in his pocket? And there's no cameras, none. it's the old days, you know. He gave me such a look, like he was so shocked from the question. <laughs> he said to me, how can you ask such a question? What do you think, anyone here is a thief? <laughs> and remember, this was all secular people. To show you how we collapse ethically from then until now, 40 years later. He said to me, people here transfer millions of dollars, diamond by handshake. <coughs> You come, you take it, mazal ubracha. No contracts, no witnesses, nothing. And that's how they used to do business. Handshake. And that's it. And everything was working smooth. Today you bring 50 contracts. People still cheat you. Still running away, don't pay. Different world. Sometimes I think, I wish some of the religious people today will be as honest as the secular people 40 years ago. But again, depend on the person. One person has Yetzirara for anger. So for him it's very, very difficult not to be angry. One has Yetzirara to steal. For him, or to lie, to cheat, it's very difficult not to do it. He looked at him like he's crazy, and he looks at him like he's crazy. The one that is calm and never get angry, if you see someone go crazy and scream and curse, he won't understand, how can it be? And the one that he never lie and can never ever say a lie or cheat, if he see someone does it, he, oh, how can it be? Because for every one of them it's so easy not to do it, so he thinks it's also easy for the other person. No, no, no. Everyone is designed with his own test. Some woman has a big yetzerara to dress provocative, and another one do not have that. Do not have it. Even one, the ugly one, has big yetzerara to show her ugliness, and the very pretty one has no yetzerara to show her beauty. How can it make sense? Depend on their test in life. One already does not have Yetzirah, and the other one has big Yetzirah. It doesn't matter how pretty you are or not, sometimes it's not relevant. It's true, the more pretty she is, the more she wants to show it. That's logic. But it's not always the case. That's why sometimes you see people that they look so horrible, but they still wear clothes that doesn't belong to them, the way they look. But they ignore that it's so ugly and so ridiculous. They ignore it. Why? Because they have big Yetzirah. When Yetzirah, there's no common sense. 
He'll do stupid things. The answer drives you crazy. Rabbi Ziyon Abba Shaul laughed at all these people who come to shul and they see someone sit in their seat and they start to scream. Every Shabbat the same story. Shame on you! Why you sit in my seat? Why don't you ask? Go to the back! Every week, everyone in the shul laugh at him, and he can still not control it. See, everyone laughing. Moshe, come down, no big deal, poor guy. He can... Next time, come on time. <laughs> Every week, for years, make fun at himself in front of everyone, and still cannot stop it. Bezrat <coughs> Hashem, this show will not be put on a website until next month. I put one lecture on me, that's it. Next week I'm still here. What's the date? Yeah, next week I'm still here. This, this weekend we have a big Shabbaton in Crown Plaza in Connecticut. Rabbi Zamir Cohen, Rabbi Pesach Kron, and myself. Huh? Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be hundreds of people. It's a huge hotel, nice, beautiful, great catering, and amazing lectures. Idabrut organization, if you know them, very big in Israel. It's gonna be in English and in Hebrew. And, uh, you know, anyone who wants to still, I think they still have rooms. According to this morning, they still have some rooms left, so you can still uh, get a, a seat, I mean, a, a room. And it's very, inex very inexpensive. Like when American organizations do such same event, it's much double. I've, did, I've dealt with others. For instance, I've seen in one of the organizations I spoke for, they charged 1600 for the weekend, they, they charged less than half. Just the cost of the hotel and the food is exactly what it is. Why they do it for cost price? Because they raise funds. They do fundraising. Anyone wants to pledge on Shabbat, they ask anyone who wants to join us. No force, of course, nobody forced to do anything. If you want, you sign up that you give them X amount of money for X amount of months. And that's how they get more donations. So it's worth it for them. But who cares about this? What's important is there's a big, great Shabbat of inspiration from Friday to Sunday. Ezrat Hashem, if, we, if you come, we'll see you there. Baruch Adonai, Leolam. Amen, Amen. Rabbi Hanani, Amen. Amen.